I'm so leaving that in. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we are back. I am so excited. I hope if you're listening to this, you are equally as excited. We had a, a small health-related hiatus, and here we are. We're back. We're better. We're stronger. Some of us have been... We've both been poked now, Charles. Oh, my God. We've both had our pokes. Everyone here has been poked. Everyone here has I, been poked. I got a Rona poke. And much like myself in high school, just can't wait for another poke. Yeah. Uh, I'm I've looking adopted, forward to it. I've adopted jabbed, like the English say. Ooh. <laughs> Got you got jabbed. jabbed. Yeah. You got jabbed once. Yeah. You're looking for twice. That's right. Ah, that's right. Uh, can't wait for it. But again, uh, I really feel like I hope my voice is, is carrying this. I feel such a weird unbridled optimism right now with everything that's going on. But just a reminder to everybody, we are still recording at the PNA Hall because A, it's beautiful. B, I love supporting an incredible venue like this. But C, because we're also still trying to be safe. We're still trying to stay as far away as we can. Uh, we're going to continue to do that. We're going to continue to wear masks. We're going to continue to do everything that we can until we really feel like everybody is, is open and free. Uh, there ends my PSA for this. Uh, but here we are. I am one of the co-hosts. My name is Ben Quam. Hopefully you've heard my voice before on this podcast, and you'll also recognize my co-host, Mr. Charles Wad. Hello. See, that's the See, voice they know. Oh, that's the one they know. <laughs> that's the, the one they, they know. <laughs> oh, I like the podcast. Uh, Charles, how have you been? I haven't seen you in weeks, and honestly, I was I missing you. Yeah, Quam called me yesterday, and he was like, man, I didn't realize I'd miss you this much, <laughs> not having seen you for about a month. I'm, I'm doing well, man. I this is going to be the first thing I've had to drink in about a month. So yeah, non-COVID, non-COVID related. Charles took an attempt at yeah. uh, trying to die. What did you do? What did, you had, a, no, you had a stomach bug, right? I, well, no. I Firstly, I've been taking better care of myself. Which is good. Because when this shit's all over, I was just telling JD uh, during our, our intermission that I, I want to be able to do things with my friends and not say, I can't do anything with you because I treated myself like shit when I couldn't be near you. And look what that got you. <laughs> yeah, precisely. <laughs> See? So it's, it's a good time. You know, this is, let's just say this is the spring season of Libations for Everyone. We did this the last time we took a short hiatus. We were like, hey, it's winter season. All right, cool. We took another hiatus. This is the spring season because it's warming up and I get to see my friends again soon. Hopefully, you know, the light's... We're, we're approaching cautiously, but the light is at the end of the tunnel. Yep. I want to be in. Uh, I want to be in fighting shape. So, I've been taking care of myself. I've lost some weight. I haven't been drinking. Yes, I did have some bout of nausea in there in the middle there, where I was Yeesh. like, "Yo, I don't think we can do the podcast." I'm just kind of feeling a little funky, uh, but I'm feeling better now and ready to drink some of this delicious booze. I was not. I was not that surprised when you had told me that you weren't drinking alcohol but i mm. knew it was serious when you told me you weren't drinking coffee that oh, made me yeah. feel like i should start shooting the emergency flares in the air because you are quite the coffee aficionado i love coffee but i don't need it and the reason i the initially when i stopped drinking coffee it was just because caffeine dehydrates you and when you're dieting heavily you need to uh, stay hydrated so i was doing a lot of tea which also is good for you it also burns calories just it's good it's holistic uh, and I love drinking tea this time of year. So originally it was by intention, but then that week stretch where I wasn't feeling so hot, you don't want to have a lot of caffeine in your body. You don't want to have a lot of nicotine. I wasn't smoking cigars either. You don't have alcohol in your body because that all makes you're like the, worse. You're like the RZA and the Jizza all wrapped up in one over here trying to convince Bill Murray how to take care of himself. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Coffee's a diuretic, Bill Murray. And I'm, and I'm the method man and the red man yeah. talking about like, <laughs> let's black out. <laughs> I've also, honestly, I've also uh, been on a little bit of a let's eat healthier, let's lose some weight 
Uh, I'm currently in the stage of uh, my form of losing weight is I'm wearing a parka, but I took off an undershirt. So uh, I can feel it a little bit, <laughs> but uh, nobody else can tell. But that's, that's partly because of the predicament that I continue to put myself in over and over and over. Every time I lose weight, then I put it back on. So we're hoping that this one won't be as much of a, a yo-yo because uh, my incredible wife has also been getting more involved again in the cooking process of things. And us trying to find healthier recipes has been awesome. Dope. But if I'm going to tiptoe into the cooking, I can't. I cannot not introduce our guest. We are breaking all kinds of rules on this show. First of all, this is our first repeat guest. Second of all, this is the first time that I've ever had to ask a guest to use their car to go back and get the equipment that I forgot <laughs> because I am a fucking idiot and ADD hits oh, hard. Right. And I changed where I left a thing one time and literally that tricks my brain into thinking it doesn't exist and therefore I don't need it. Are you it. a line cook? <laughs> Honestly, I have been, and it's the same reason why the towel goes in the same spot, the knife goes in the same spot. Like, it's the same reason that I always would redo my rail when I was bartending in the service well. I am very much a creature of I know where the things that need to be. Muscle memory, baby. Yep. And uh, as my wife would attest, and I believe did on the podcast, uh, every time she cleans and moves things, then I spend the next month of my life trying to figure out where all the stuff that I used to know where it was. Yeah. Yeah, apparently, it's all gone. I'm living in an episode of Doctor Who. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcoming back to the show, Mr. J.D. Fratsky. That's me. Uh, J.D., lots of shit has happened since we last interviewed you. Uh, the world has shifted quite a bit, but also you have done some amazing and different things. You want to talk a little bit about what you've been up to? Um, I have been, uh, I've been home basing a lot. I... I I guess that's probably one of the best ways to put it. I've been really focusing my energies on uh, on hanging out at home. Um, I, too, like my friend Charles Awad, have been really trying to stay physically fit. Um, I've been trying to spend a lot of time outside. Um, and also, I, you know, I still need to, uh, uh, especially when unemployment benefits run out, uh, you got to keep a roof over your head. So um, daddy's been on the hustle. <clears throat> so... Oh, yeah. Um, I was really, really fortunate to have been approached by uh, uh, Justin Sutherland and Brian Ingram back in May when we were feeding some uh, some frontline healthcare workers down at Mayo. Shout out to a former guest and a soon to be guest. Yeah, yeah. Um, two of the two of the finest people, not only in the Twin Cities hospitality community, but just two of the better people I've ever met in my life. Um, I, uh, I started working with them, doing some of these, you know, side hustles and feeding some restaurant workers. And um, uh, Justin approached me and said, hey, you know, we, uh, we got a line on a restaurant space that used to be occupied by some friends of ours. Um, can you help us open it in any way, shape, or form? Do you want to cook over open fire and make beach tacos and, yes. uh, and, and pour some tequila out of the tap? And I'm like, that... <laughs> Nothing about this sounds wrong. That sounds like what you'd be doing if you weren't working. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, right. So uh, that's precisely what I did. I said yes to that, and I helped them open a wood-fired cantina in the Keg and Case market. Um, we did that until the second shutdown in December. Um, but not too shortly after that, uh, Brian and uh, his dude, Lucas Miller, who I have had a six degrees of separation that went down to like one or two degrees of separation without either of us knowing it for almost 30 years now. Um, 
we, uh, we were introduced to an idea from St. Paul Public Schools. Um, they asked us to put together a curriculum for their middle school distance learning home ec class. And awesome. Yeah. It was, they, they were just like, look, we're, we're super busy. Things are chaos over here. We're trying to keep a lid on this over here. We had to shut down wood-fired because no one's coming. Um, and we're just going to wait until springtime when we can open the patio again. You know, instead of, like, quote-unquote letting you go, can we give you this as the job? And it was really cool. It was, it's, it's eight weeks of classes, so I had to come up with eight recipes that 14-year-olds in St. Paul in uh, the Payne-Phelan neighborhood can cook in their homes um, while they're working on their devices with a home ec teacher who is at the Farnsworth School itself. So I got to channel my 14-year-old skateboarder and, uh, you know, what do you want to eat? So, you know, but I also (laughs) thought about, like, okay, what do these kids, what do they want to learn? You know, like, what what would I have wanted to learn? Are they listening to Zen Arcade by Husker Du right now while skateboarding? (laughs) Probably, damn it. Aren't. They aren't. (laughs) Turns out survey says no. No. Um, But, uh but, you know, I, like I said, with Lupe Fiasco in my head, I, I kept going up. Uh, I'm like, okay, we got we to gotta get some uh, scratch-made mac and cheese in there. We got to teach them how to do that. Um, you know, so I kind of thought about my, my grandma and how she did that for me when I was a kid. and um, Biscuits and gravy. And shout out again to Justin. Justin did an awesome 45-second video to show to the students. Like, he was so cool in it. I, I, I'll share it with you sometime. Please but, do. But, like... Um, Essentially, it was like, this is one of my favorite meals. We love serving it at the restaurant, but the cool part about it is that I get to share it with you, so this is your recipe now. Here's how you can do it. Here's how you can make it. Like, if you don't like mushrooms, don't put that in the gravy. If you don't want sausage, if you don't want this, you don't want that. You know, recipes are, he said, essentially, like, kind of just roadmaps. You know, you don't have to get from point A to point B. You can take whatever route you want to get there. And it was it was really, really sweet. And it was God, it was amazing. exactly what, you know, my 14 year old self would have been inspired by so little things like that um what else did we come up with Uh, we taught them how to make spaghetti and meatballs uh um, i'm really excited about a recipe we're going to do in a couple of weeks um uh, we're going to do caribbean beans and rice where like you're you're simmering the rice and coconut milk and you're making red beans and there's a spice mix with all the spices so that'll be my turn to make a video and I'm, i'm really excited to talk to them about you know food isn't just how it's why and where and you know the history of the spice trade and this is why food tastes this way and you know we learn to speak one another's languages to make food taste better so i i I love i love just giving them that curveball and then just letting them cook something and it's like holy shit this is fucking good you know well and the fact that not only are you giving them recipes that they can give each other sustenance with but you're also teaching them that the place where food comes from isn't scary yeah. It's not it's not prohibitive, it's not frightening. It should be something that you want to go to. I still remember um JD you've you've been with me uh for a few different fundraisers for um uh, nokidhungry.org. Yeah. And yeah. I remember the first one that I did in I think it was 2014 or 2015 and the video that they showed was a, a chef testimonial from one of the chefs that helped start the charity and uh, I am so sorry to Lizzie Breyer, I forgot the chef's name. But um, she made an entire room of, like, 250, 300 people cry Mm -hmm. because she told a story about her mom having – she got stuck at her first job late 
and then had to go straight to her second job and couldn't come home and fix any food. And she was in third grade and she opened up the pantry and literally didn't know how to cook anything. Yeah. And she said, I just remember setting, sitting on the ground and crying because I didn't know how to feed my younger siblings because I didn't know what to do because I had never, nobody had ever taken the time because mom didn't have time to show me how to do it. It was, I'm going to crank through this and then you guys get your food and then I'll go back to providing for our family so we keep a roof over our heads. And the fact that you're literally going like kid by kid and teaching them how to do that, like that's, that's an amazing service. Well, so yeah. humbled in your presence, my man. Well, thank you. I mean, that's, you know, I appreciate that very much. And, you know, for all the cool things that I've gotten to do that have made me feel better about my place in the world without having a brick-and-mortar economic place in the world, um, again, like, you know, I, you know, I'm not trying to kiss ass or anything. I'm just, I'm really trying to say thank you to my friends Brian and Justin because they're the ones who are going out and, like, making the deals with the people who have donated the food that allowed us to put the free grocery together at, at the Gnome for a month. Mm-hmm. You know, they're the ones who are uh, getting contacted by the St. Paul School District and putting, you know, getting the resources to put some of these things together. Um, it's it's the, the staff at the Gnome who is actually assembling a lot of these kits so that I can deliver them to the school. Like, you know, being being part of that equation and being a you know, a cog in the wheel, but also like kind of making sure that the lunar lander arrives safely. Um, I'm really honored for that. But, but again, it's like, it's, I guess the cool part about all of this is that, you know, this is just, this is something that this community, this food community, this hospitality community has always done. We're just realizing that we are capable of doing it from the heart without an economic reason or a restaurant promotion behind it, um, and that is invaluable. I mean, that's not going to go away, and that's only going to get better. I love it. Yeah, me too, brother. Oh. Yeah, that's fantastic. We're getting we're getting Cheers positivity in the world, Charles. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's kind of weird. Believe that. Hey, we need it. <laughs> Damn we need right. It. Well, uh, I mean. Should we just get to some drinking and some questions? Let's get to some drinking. Get to some drinking. You guys know how it goes. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll try and do my thing. Uh, I, Charles, you came up with the original catchphrase, which was sipping shots. Sharing thoughts. That's what we do. I don't know. We have so many of them. I was like, which one? <laughs> <laughs> the, the OG. It's been a long time. It's all about sipping shots and sharing thoughts. Uh, we're gonna do. Uh, we're gonna do a drink of this delicious Gamla Ode Dill Akavit mm-hmm. uh, as mm-hmm. inspirato from uh, Mr. JD. Uh, twice we attempted to do a, a, a jump in a frozen lake, a polar plunge, if you will, and uh, my insane work schedule screwed it up both times, but. JD inspired me enough in doing that that I signed up for a fundraiser for a polar plunge so that there was no way I could back out. <laughs> and uh, in one day, uh, we more than doubled my goal. So my I'm going to jump in a lake in honor of you. All right. And uh, we're going we're gonna to give a bunch of money All to right. the Special Olympics as a, as a tribute. Love so, it. Uh, I, will, I will be wearing something podcast-related and something more embarrassing because I promised everybody that helped yeah, contribute really so. that I would take an awful, awful photograph of myself. <laughs> <laughs> so who knows? It could, just, it could be just biker shorts, maybe tassels and a tutu. We don't know where it's going to go. No, tassels. 
I mean, hey. we gotta gotta cover the nips. <laughs> the, there are two requisites, and that's rhinestones and sequins. Have you, Charles? Have you? I, I know your feelings on on jumping in water for no reason. Have you ever <laughs> Have you ever thought about jumping in a hole cut in the ice in the middle of a lake? I would. I have no problem with the cold. I've done ice baths. Yeah. So I yeah. yeah. But I'm I'm saying in a lake. Would you? Sure. You would oh, do yeah. that. Okay. Yeah. It's, I told you it's pools mostly that I have a problem with. That's fair. All right. You mean just giant? I just don't. <laughs> a giant don't urinal? This. I probably mentioned it on the podcast before. I don't understand water sports. Yeah. I'm an adult. I don't want to flap my arms around in water and then have to dry myself off to get another beer. <laughs> and I would say the same thing about water sports, but I'm referring to something different. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, <laughs> I, think, I think we're all in agreement on that one, but I can't be certain. We'll save that question for next time JD there's, comes on. <laughs> there's a Donald Trump tape. Exactly. It's, somewhere. it's still out there somewhere. In the former Soviet Union. Oh, man. They he's probably the, launched it into space. He's good tape. He's good tape. It's, all right. Well, let's it's take a bump insurance. here. Uh, let's take a little bump. And then, Charles, I believe Shots you're keys. taking it away as a hey, start. Guys. Happy, happy uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin Day. Happy Stone, Stone Cold, Cold Steve Austin Day. I really wanted the sound of breaking glass as we were taking that shot. <laughs> Eventually, we'll start adding sound effects, and we'll be able to do that. Oh, my God! Here comes Stone Cold! <laughs> Stone Cold! Stone Cold! Stone yeah, Cold! We could have had the breaking glass as our buzzer, but we didn't think ahead. Oh, yeah. that's, that's what we love about this podcast. No forethought at all. No, absolutely. <laughs> let's uh all right let's get into the questions and let's continue discussing food jd what food did you did you used to love that uh you're totally over now um you buy some time no you know wow okay it's because i always overthink everything i was gonna have the knee-jerk <laughs> reaction um but uh man i just <clears throat> All right, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go either end. Okay. Um, I'm not that crazy about fried chicken sandwiches anymore. Mm. Okay. I mean that I used to really like. You know, I, I like whenever you have that that extra like you know eight dollars in cash in your wallet. You know, and you're driving home, you're like, oh, I'll just swing in the drive-through. You know, at whatever random fast mm-hmm. food restaurant. Or, Everybody's got one. You know, one. I've never had this one before, or I haven't had this one in twenty years before, and. When I started doing that, my succession of disappointments, um, not, only, not only has it kept me from, you know, the, 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 uh, the awful toll it takes on my physical health, um, but it also is just kind of reinforces the fact that so much commodity food business, like, it just goes for the lowest common denominator as far as ingredients now. And, and also, like, for instance, like, a bunch of fast food, like, the buns... Like, they, they taste like they could be made out of a donut now. They're so sweet. And I don't know that it's my oh, yeah. evolution of palate or the fact that they are adding more sugar to make sugar to make it more addictive or whether it's a combination of both. But I just I don't enjoy them anymore. They don't trip my trigger. There's no way it's not both. No. It, it's got to be yeah. like both us refining our palates, but also yeah. it's a never ending study to try and make things more addictive to right. keep people. Using back. and using uh, obviously salt and sugar to off balance the hilarious sum of uh, preservatives that they use and chemicals, right? Gym because, mats, and yeah, because <laughs> exactly. yeah, because Subway bread has 18, I believe it's 18 ingredients, and only like four of them are you can things you can buy in a grocery store, right? <laughs> that, I mean, that's three insane. or four, I believe. Right. And and I remember, I remember being in high school and uh, 
out our like sort of back 40 where the softball fields were, we actually had a fenced-in area that it was legal to smoke. It was off school yeah. grounds, but it was still overseen by school so that, in theory, the 18-year-old kids could smoke. But literally, I mean, everybody was back there smoking. But that was also right behind the subway. And it was this really weird mix when the wind would blow right where you'd get, like, shitty, cheap cigarette smoke, uh-huh. but then these wafts of, like, bread. And I remember thinking, like, oh, my God, fresh-baked bread smells so good. Right. Yeah. And most of the bakers were smoking while they were making the bread. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, so. You'd have to to put that kind of shit together. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, oh. <laughs> uh, to answer the second part of the question on the opposite end of the spectrum, um, I'm, I'm not crazy about foie gras anymore. Okay. I mean, I, I, I still respect it and love it as an ingredient, and I, I, I think that it should still be a part of menus, and I think it has its place in the world. But, you know, it was, uh, it was on the menu every day from the opening of the restaurant at the strip club Meat and Fish until the day that we closed. And it got to a point where I think for like four or five years in a row, it just became one of our nightly specials. Like we didn't have a preparation of it on the, on the printed menu anymore. It was just foie gras du jour. Um, and you know, so when you make it and compose it, you also have to taste it. And, you know, we did everything with it. I mean, you, you ate too much foie gras. It is possible. It, it's possible. Okay. But, but I've tried, and, but right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's the, that's the thing too. Like, it is. It's, you know, I've mentioned this before. Like, it's like anything else in life. When you have it at ready disposal, you do take it for granted and you do eat too much of it. And it gets to the point where you know it so well that you can anticipate the flavor of it. Um, and it, I, I guess I would never quite reject it anymore if it was like, I definitely wouldn't reject it if it was put in front of me. And I might even order it if it was on a menu. I just don't crave it anymore. Absolutely. You know, like I, I used to like, oh my God, I can't wait to have that. You know, and, and then jump the shark for you. Yeah. That's, that's a fair. nice way of putting it. That's fair. Yeah, fair enough. Nuke you know? the fridge. There are worse problems to have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm so sick of flying around. <laughs> Again. We've mentioned Jeeps. this on the pod right. before, but lobster used to be peasant food. Yep. So. Yep. It's yeah. All, it's all cyclical. Agreed. Uh, for me, my, my first thought when you asked it was, uh, was straight up Kraft macaroni and cheese. Because went, yeah. I ate probably more of that by body weight than anything else when I was a child. Yeah. And the, the problem is, though, I can't actually say that and really believe it because I still eat it, but I doctor the fuck out of it. Mm. Like, if I need something that's kind of quick, but sure. I, I require, like, five other ingredients to make it, like, work. So, actually, I think my answer to this question is bacon. Huh. Okay. I still like bacon. I'm not saying I'm anti-bacon. So big bacon, don't come at me with your weird lawsuits. (laughs) But honestly, I'm fucking tired of everybody shoehorning it into everything. It is such a dominant flavor. And half the time right now, it's like bacon essence or you're using like the fat to flavor something else. And I don't, I don't need it in my drink for sure. It's like adding mayonnaise to a sauce. Yeah, I, we're good. And yeah. you know my feelings on mayonnaise. I don't ever need it. But honestly, like, that's one where I, I, just, I feel like it's lazy now. I feel like when you're jamming it full of bacon and there's bacon in the patty and there's bacon on top of the burger as well and there's bacon, bacon in the bun. Meat, bacon wrapped meatloaf. Yeah. It is a way to elevate, like, for instance, a bad chicken sandwich. Yeah. A bad right. fried chicken sandwich. I don't know. We put bacon on it. It didn't taste like anything, but we put some bacon on it. Well, right. but that's the thing. Like, you see it happen a lot. Again, I'm not saying that I don't like it. I'm mm. just saying it, it has become 
a lazy way of I don't want to cook something better. I don't want to make something better. I'll just put bacon on it and charge two bucks more, and then it works. Because normally without the bacon, this is super fucking bland. And then if somebody complains and they didn't get bacon on it, I'll say, well, it's because you didn't order it the way that I wanted you to. Bacon as veneer. Yeah, exactly. It's, 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 it's being used as wallpaper to cover up holes. Yeah. It's the, the poster in Andy Dufresne's cell in Shawshank Redemption <laughs> while you're just digging a hole deeper and deeper. And, and again, it's, it's not like when it's used properly, I adore it. But um, I had a, I, I'm not going to say where, but I had a really incredible uh, Brussels sprouts dish today for lunch. I loved it. Everything about it was perfect. But then they put like half a pound of bacon in it. Mm-hmm. And it got to the point where like I couldn't taste any of the other flavors. So I went through the entire thing and I just portioned all the bacon off to the side okay. and then I ate the rest of it. If, if I may venture an opinion on that, I, I feel like, well, that's a classic combination that everybody knows. Like, mm-hmm. there, you know, I don't think there's a menu within 100 miles of this place that hasn't had bacon and Brussels sprouts on it at one time. But when chefs started like, rekindling the romance with Brussels sprouts or establishing it, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, that was the only way anybody thought that they could ever get people to eat Brussels yeah. sprouts. Because yep. there was this Brussels sprout stigma yep. forever. Oh, you know, like it's either spinach or Brussels sprouts when you're a kid that no one will touch, no one will ever want to eat. Well, it's because your mom always boiled the fuck out of them. Yep. I mean, yeah. like, or the bag of already boiled Brussels sprouts. Right. And already already yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So I think, I mean, that's part of it. So it's just become a go-to. And the, I think that's part of it, you know, and not to hijack this conversation, but like th- that's part of a chef's responsibility. I think now more than ever moving forward, we're all talking about our health. We're all talking about how we really want to eat. And I think that the pandemic has really stripped away the veneer of a lot of stuff. For sure. So I think that moving forward with menus, I think a lot of chefs are really going to be like, these are beautiful dandelion greens. They just need a little bit of lemon juice and olive oil. And it's beautiful. They'll yep. sing. Yeah. Yep. You know, and I, I, w- I personally would like to see more of that. It's going to be my mission to, to play with a little bit more of that. Um, and to make that more of the focus than like a, a standby animal protein, it doesn't have to be bacon. It doesn't have to be, you know, chicken or anything else or, or, or a, you know, a pork tenderloin. I mean, let's, let's see what these grains and, and greens can really do for us. For sure. Charles, how would you, how would you answer that question? My answer is tater tots. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I'm just, I'm fucking sick of tater tots. Yeah. I realized it, I realized it uh, over this last year with like a lot of takeout orders. Yeah. You know, side of fries, side of, you know, just throw something in there. Fries don't travel. Most potatoes don't travel. You know what travels? Tater tots. Shitty ass tater tots. Yeah. Just out of the bag with just full of hydrogenated oil. Of course. And I just, I don't know what it was. I popped one in my mouth from a tig order. I won't, I won't say the restaurant because it's not their fucking right. fault. But I popped a tater tot in my mouth, a, a food that I've enjoyed my entire life, adult and child alike. And I was like, I'm fucking sick of oily ass tater tots. Uh-huh. I just, oh. I don't want a tater tot anymore. So I'm probably not going to eat any more tater tots. Got, I think I'm just done with them. Like, there's something like tangy metallic that goes the, on there. You know, oiliness like, yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The pre-baked stuff, they're so fucking oily, like yeah. in the center where yeah. it wasn't even yeah. fried. Well, and then you also, if you're getting them from a restaurant, especially one that's busy and you're getting to-go food, You'll get those ones where it's just the crunchy outside all the way through the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. Where it just tastes like you got all the crispy bits out of the fryer. And just you got a them. cylindrical hash brown? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's, oh, I hate 
hate that. I hate it. Yeah. Q, I, Q Gene Simmons singing Unholy. <laughs> <laughs> Unholy. Is, is there a, like, like I said, there are a few things that I still love bacon on. If you are in control of it, would you use a tater tot for anything? Or are you just done? No. I mean, you can do so many things with potatoes. And mm-hmm. there's so many cool things that are happening. Like, you've seen people do, like, uh, potatoes fondant, which mm-hmm. wasn't that popular a couple of years ago. But now everyone's like, ooh, here's a thing we can do. You're not going to get that at a sports bar. But I'd rather just have – I'd rather have a good fry sure. uh, 10 times out of 10 over a tot. I'm we, also sick of waffle fries because it's the same thing. They come in a bag I already cut. Fries. I don't get it. You get no-flavor, mushy potatoes, and then they serve – Sour cream with a quarter teaspoon of Lowry's mixed in. Yeah. I like the seasoned sour cream I thing just because I don't like it. I don't like aiolis and uh, mayos for fried food. It's yeah, already that, fried. That's the sound right there. That's right. <laughs> Look out! Uh, I don't like uh, I don't like dipping fat and fat. I don't like the here's a fried fry now dip it in mayo. I don't have this problem with mayos and aiolis that you do on like sandwiches and stuff. But I don't like I like ketchup. Yep. That's what I like ketchup for. I don't use ketchup on anything except russet potatoes. So I would use them when I like tater tots and I like it on fries. Uh, so that's, yeah, I, but I like the, I like the seasoned sour cream because it's sort of a creaminess, but I don't remember last time I had it. It's just, I wouldn't, I wouldn't swat it out of your hand. It can die. Uh, I just, I think tater tots, no matter what, will always survive for me to make my family's tater tot hot dish. The bland, Midwestern slash Scandinavian mm. hearty stick to your ribs bullshit. I don't care. I will I will plant that flag till the day I die. Orita has stock for me forever. For that simply, <laughs> I've never made one of those. Ugh. You're a lot whiter. Oh yeah, you get you have to you, <laughs> you have to you have to have see through forearms to really tray, really tray know. Caucasian. Yeah, but uh, that was. I mean, my mom still loves to tell the story. Uh, she was going through a super hippie phase when I was born. And the first food that I ate was tater tot hot dish that she ran through uh, like a food masher. And I ate it as a slurry. And that's how you end up borderline 6'6 and like 280. <laughs> like that is, that is how you grow a giant. And a lot of people don't understand that. But that's fucking so, it. Yeah. That's a low-level growth hormone there. Ben Quam as potato-fed ice giant. Yep. <laughs> I'm, I'm down with this. I, it's a I TTGH. It's the tater tot growth hormone. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, it's really the key. Uh, all right. Uh, well, first. Let's do some booze. Let's do some boozing. Let's go. <clears throat> Cheers. Goodbye. Uh, all right. So I'm going to twist the dial to music, mm-hmm. our, our collective other love. In uh, thinking that we all share a, an age bracket, if you will, we were all sort of teens in the 90s. Uh, if you, you speak for yourself. <laughs> just kidding. If you, if you could go back to that era, and you could pick anywhere from 90 to 99, if you could go back in time and hear one song from that era again for the first time. Ooh. So you blank out your experience with that band and you get to have that first listen again. Is there a, a song that jumps out to you? And if so, what would it be? And can you, can you, remember, can you remember what it felt like the first time you heard it? And that's deep, so I, I understand. Yeah, you can marinate. You can marinate. Yeah, so huh. I can kick it over to Charles if you'd like while you ponder. I think, I'm, yeah, I'm going to have to ponder okay. for a second because I've, I've got like five. <laughs> oh, dude, I've, 
throughout least. the entire day-to-day knowing this was coming up, my answer has changed at least 15 times. Sure. So, uh, Charles, do you know what you would say to that? So I, I observed this question in a different way because <laughs> I did, I experienced, I experienced these songs for the first time in the nineties already and it had its effect on me and I'm, yeah. I'm okay with it. I don't want to rewrite that history. I'm thinking in terms of if I heard that song for the first time today as though like it just came out right now. Ooh. So there's two ways that I would answer yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. One way would be songs like Black Hole Sun, Smells Like Teen Spirit, or Cemetery Gates. Oof. And those are, the, the reason I pick songs like that is because those would be like, if those were post-mortem releases for those particular bands who now don't have some of their yep. members present, so Alice in Chains, Nirvana, and Pantera, mm-hmm. it would blow my fucking mind. Holy shit, how have I never, never heard this before? I can't believe this material is available. And I think each of those songs would have a huge effect on me, even today. Like if I heard it for the first time, 2021, right now, it would very much like it would evoke that time because obviously it sounds like music that came out then for sure uh, and also it would just be it would be very moving for me the other answer uh similarly if it came out today it'd be as uh viable as it ever was is uh, killing in the name yeah yep. so can you can you name a song that makes as much sense today as that song does and we don't have to get really deep into it because we'll just talk about that for the mm-hmm. next 15 20 minutes but if you heard that for the first time to t- today you would flip a fucking table lose it you know you would yeah you it would it would have a i think everyone here would have a very uh, uh profound effect on our like uh, mindset and our thoughts Absolutely. And, and the way we observe our our lives you know that day and, and going forward precisely the first time I ever heard that song was watching it performed live. Oh my God! R- Rage Against the Machine opened. Get the, you'll love this. Rage Against the Machine. Rage Against the Machine op- opened at First Avenue for House of oh. Pain. I'm very oh, wow. aware of that concert because <laughs> I chose not to go to that show because I literally didn't have enough money, and I'm still yeah. angry. Yeah. I, well, I Nirvana or Pearl Jam and Nirvana at First Avenue. Same thing. Um, on on my end, I should say, but. I'll never forget it. I'm pretty sure it was Killing in the Name. But, like, first of all, no one knew who the fuck these guys were. I didn't. Right. And, you know, we, we get there. And that must have just blown you back. Like, what the fuck is this? It was like getting, like, two songs into the set. It was like I was getting my head ripped off. I mean, it was so fucking good. And, you know, I'd heard, like, you know, the metal rap things before. And there was a band out of D.C. called Orange 9 Millimeter that, oh, that I thought yeah. they were kind of mm-hmm. like, yeah. And uh, I they... What they did and what they said and the way they were talking about it, and I mean, they nailed everything. I mean, they were my new favorite band, like like I said, you know, uh, six verses into their set. And uh, he, so this was, this had to be like 1993 maybe, 1992, 1992 or 93. And... Uh, I remember Zach introducing Killing in the Name of, you know, he's simply like, you know, so we need to pay attention, you know, so we can send a message to Dixie Crack Clinton or whatever the fuck his name is. It was the way he introduced the song. What? Yeah. <laughs> Dixie Clack Crack Clinton. <laughs> and uh, the place just lit up, you know, and then, uh, you know, two years later, they were you know, on the roster at, uh, at Lollapalooza when it was at, Har- or, uh, when they had to cancel it at Harriet Island and yeah. do it at Roy Wilkins. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was that was crazy. That was that was amazing. That song was 
a huge deal. So here, here's another wrinkle. The yeah. next time I hear that song live will be the first time I hear it live because that is the one band in my life. And I don't remember if this was a question on the podcast, but that's the one band in my life that I regret not seeing because yep. I've seen I've seen some bands that I probably had no business seeing at the age that I was when I saw them, like Alice in Chains, and I was fortunate to be able to yeah. see them. But I have never seen Rage. I've always somehow just whiffed, including... During the pandemic, yep. Guam and I were supposed to go to the same fucking yep. show. And I was like, Guam, I'm finally going to see Rage Live. This is like one of my favorite bands when I was a teenager. Never been able to see them. And then, of course, their shows got canceled. Awful. Oh, it's fucking heartbreaking. So someday, man. hopefully, they come back. I th- Did they reschedule? Yeah. They might have, and I they're, just took the refund. They're saying I was like, we'll that see it's, it's July. July, but okay. who knows? Well, if it happens, I'll, I'll scalp tickets. You're goddamn right you will. Yeah, man. <laughs> Got to do it. <laughs> oh, see, like Charles, your take on that question actually completely like changed my thought. I'm okay. still going to stick with the <laughs> answer, but I, I'm going to answer it dually as you did. If I could hear a song, given everything that's happened, mm-hmm. if I could hear a song right now for, for the, the first, first time, time. Uh, it would be uh, either Wooden Jesus or Hunger Strike from Temple of the Dog. Okay. Because yeah, yeah. both of those have taken on. As I've grown and I've learned about losing friends to drugs, as I've grown and learned about how horrific the music industry is, as I've grown and, and learned about inequity in, in economics in the world, I didn't get any of that context. I just knew that like their friend had died and that yeah. this was an album that they made in tribute to him and I thought they made really good music. Now, having the context of all of that, now losing Chris Cornell as well, mm-hmm. and also, if you want to count Lane Staley and Scott Weiland and the rest of them... Yes. Hunger Strike becomes such a more heart-achingly poignant song about the do I want fame with all that comes along with it or not. And Wooden Jesus, with the evangelical era that we're living through right, right. now, is, is almost more... Like, I was still, at that time, a Christian struggling with my ideas of what I saw the church doing versus what I had been raised to believe. Oh, yeah. Now, looking back on that as a 41-year-old atheist... Holy shit, that song is like, it's so good it makes my head swim. Yeah. And knowing what Chris went through before he finally let go, that was, to me, that's just such a more powerful song. Um, yeah, you would absorb it in a different a way. Completely different way. And, and I also have more depth to absorb it. Like, at the time, I was like a little fucking green scrubby Brillo pad. I didn't right. have any depth. Right. It was just a, a little bit of moisture could, could hang in there, and then if you shook it, it would be dry again. Yeah, you remember, like, you and I, and I think we mentioned this last time we hung out together, but, like, th- that's one of the things about music that's that's so amazing, and, and what makes it so necessary that when you're young is that it's a roadmap. You know, you might not have those life experiences, but you yep. know at one point or another you're going to experience something like this, and, and this is how deep it's going to feel. Yep. And for the fact that somebody can, can put that into music and lyrics, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily make you pursue being around people that that's going to happen to but you know that it's possible and you and dude that's it and and later on when you do feel those things you have that to go to as a sense of comfort you know oh man jesus christ like on that album my my two songs are uh uh, uh, pushing forward back in times of trouble and i can barely listen to times of trouble anymore because chris cornell is singing about telling someone not to take their life uh-huh. and he ended up taking his life that's it's like that album i keep going back to it 
now looking back and just being like, holy shit. But like for me, mm-hmm. I, uh, I mean, what I, I guess I would have been, I think, 12 or 13 when I got it. And just the fact that like wooden Jesus starts with the line, yeah. wooden Jesus, where are you from? Korea or Canada or maybe, maybe Taiwan. Taiwan? Like just thinking about the capitalism involved yeah. that's <clears throat> intertwined with religion that gave me the language to start talking about my feelings because I didn't even know how to talk about it. And that, that song was the start of me being able to talk about it. And then I found Vonnegut and then like the ball keeps rolling, but that that's the first song. Yeah. But the way that I intended the question, yeah. <laughs> if I could go back and hear a song for the first time, it would be hypnotized by notorious B.I.G. Huh. Because it's the first song and the only song in my life that I pulled my car over on the side of the road because I did not know what the fuck I was listening yeah. to <laughs> and I needed to take it in. Okay. Like, so I you'd knew, want the same experience over again. I want it again. Okay. I want to be in a shitty minivan that I don't own. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to have my Sony Sport Discman with the bass boomer, the little extra bass boost, with the little X-base. tape adapter going in. <laughs> and I want to feel compelled to pull my car over because I didn't know that something could blow my fucking mind in the first 30 seconds. And I loved Big Papa. I loved Juicy. I loved that whole album. But when fucking, when that song dropped and I realized how, it was Biggie stepping onto a world stage. What we, that first record to me was, oh shit, New York has a new king. Right. And that was dope. But that was still like, oh, that's New York to me. I was like, I'm hearing a new reporter coming on who's going to be the most famous reporter from New York telling me about what's going on there. Yeah. Hypnotize hit where I, that, like, I guess the way that some people reacted to like when Chronic first came out from Dre and the G-Funk era, I didn't have enough other texture around that to really realize how groundbreaking that sound was. I just loved the record. Mm-hmm. I, from, from in the, th- what, three, four, five years from the chronic coming out to, or I guess six years from the chronic coming out to um, re- uh, Life After Death dropping and, and Hypnotize being the lead single, when that fucking hit, that was when I realized, oh my God, this might be like a thing that the world has to stop and take notice for. And there's plenty of other songs that I actually know all the lyrics to even better off the top of my head i could literally do all of dre and tupac from california love it's a great song but hypnotize fucked me up and there's still not a time that i don't listen to that song and just i'm in awe of the way that he dances around the pockets of the rhythm of that song there's other songs that he has better lines in there's other songs that have better production but that was the first time that i realized personally that i realized like fuck hip-hop might run the world and yeah, here he has, we are. He has otherworldly cadence. Like it's just the way that the way that he verses is incredible. Even even like the the opening line of that song, he stops and gives himself a pause to not hit the not yes. hit on the beat, just to show you how fucking ridiculous. That, he that's is. what I was gonna say. Like the 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 stumbling of it, you know, and, and the purposeful stumbling of it. Yeah. I mean, the only other, you know, the only other group that I that I knew that did hip hop that way that made it work and changed everything obviously was Wu-Tang. Of course. Yeah. But you had the ability to have seven different guys with seven different cadences right. doing that. Totally. Where with, with that song, or with Biggie's career in general, but with that song, 
that was when I realized he doesn't give a fuck about right. anything. His first line is bragging about how sick he is, and he literally gives himself a weird pause in there just to show you, I'll dance whatever the fuck steps I want, and it'll still be on beat, mm-hmm. and you're still going to get down. Yeah. And I, I heard it before I ever saw the video, and when I saw the video, that was also the first time I had seen like a, like a Hollywood movie size video for a hip-hop song. And it made sense. That grandeur was what I heard in the song. Right. And that was what his... Like, there's, the, there's a drummer named um, Bernard Purdy. I don't know if you guys know yeah, who he is. Like, yeah. soul drummer from yeah, yeah. 70s, 80s. Yeah. Um, if you listen to... He's the drummer on the Five Stair Steps, Ooh Child, which is one of my favorite songs of all time. And if you listen to him, as the song builds, he starts playing his fucking snare and his kick almost... Like, he's almost fucking with the beat. Because he's, he's hitting around it, and it, it almost feels like the entire drum kit is rocking with him. That was how Biggie run his, hit, ran his cadence on that song, and many other songs. Yeah. But that, that song, I would give anything. I, I did the thing, <laughs> the really embarrassing thing, where I don't know what to stare at, so I just stared at the display of my stereo in the car, because <laughs> somehow like, that was like making eye contact with the sure. song. And I literally pulled over on Highway Simpler 100. time. Exactly. <laughs> you could right. read an air freshener yeah. can yep. back then. And I just sat on the side of Highway 100, staring at my stereo with my head, like my hand on my head, going, What the fuck? This is insane. Wait, right. so what medium were you listening to it on? Uh, that was on the radio. That it was, was on the radio. Um, uh, KMOJ debuted it yeah, yeah. like huh. the weekend before the album dropped. Sure. So if I remember right, that was back in the day when you could debut the song over the weekend and then the records would show up on Tuesday because yep. they would all hit the stores Monday. So they would preview but it, it. Yeah, the advanced copies would come out. And- yep. So did you have that uh, uh, palpable sense of panic that we used to have where you were like, who is this? What is this? What is this? What is this? No, I, I knew who Notorious oh, B.I.G. Yeah, yeah. was. I loved Ready to Die. I thought it was a great album. But I thought, again, it was much like 36 Chambers where I thought it, it was amazing. But it was a, it was a part of a life that, like, I didn't think I would ever get yeah. to see, yeah. especially at that age and especially a kid from South Minneapolis moving out to Maple Grove. I, I didn't think that, that I was hearing stories. It, it was like somebody doing a podcast from a neighborhood talking about what's going on in their neighborhood. Like, I, I, I didn't know that I would ever see that. Hypnotized was like, nah, fucking, this is the whole world. This is who I am. This is my statement song. I'm coming out. Fuck all y'all. And I was like, oh. A song that gave me the exact same feeling. Uh, in almost the exact same circumstances, was uh, uh, Slow Down by Brand Nubian. Oh, my God, that song still hits. I was, I was driving around Winona in my mom's car, super lonely. Um, it, it started to snow, so it was, it was really beautiful outside. It was maybe 11 o'clock at night, and uh, uh, the local radio station, the college radio station played it, and I'd never heard it before. And that loop with the Edie Brickell song, What uh-huh. I Am, comes up, and they just bust out and just like you're talking about telling stories about a life that you're never going to live or don't think you're going to live yep. but you know just really really opening up those those doors I mean it was the same thing like I did I like I remember turning off Broadway and just driving down side streets really slow listening to it and like I actually when I got home I called the radio station to ask who it was yep. because they didn't announce it while I was playing and I was working at a record store at the time, and, like, the cassette single, remember those? Oh, absolutely. The, the cassette single sampler showed up, and I yanked it right away, like, without my boss know anything, you know. That came home with me. 
And uh, I, to this day, like I love that song. That that will always be a part of my life. I might like them more now than I did. Yeah. Then. Like yeah. for whatever reason, like that whole catalog has gotten more important to me now. Uh-huh. Where like when I don't know what else to put on, like that honestly, yeah. that song will will probably be in my top ten of like I'll throw that on. Puba makes no mistakes. <laughs> she said, "Rock me tonight." Oh, oh. That. Anyway, uh, to answer your question, I think okay. If if everybody's getting yep getting one or two um i think the two songs i would pick out would be uh, uh i would pick out fresh tendrils by Soundgarden. um Ooh, because nice. when when the spoon man 12 inch came out i snapped that up and it was the b-side on it and i didn't like spoon man very much actually i was really disappointed with with that as gonna being their like first signal I or single like from uh, from super unknown i don't either but i remember fresh tendrils like making the hair on the back of my neck stand up like that song still creeps me out on a bunch of levels, mm-hmm. and I know what the song means to me, but I don't necessarily still know to this day what the song's really about, and that's one of the things I love about it too. But it's it's evil and it's creepy and it's dark, and it's also so emotional. Like you can hear everything that Super Unknown is about coming out in Chris Cornell through that song, and I love him for that, and I love that band for that song. Mm-hmm. I mean, I thought I loved him for everything on Louder Than Love and leading up to it, but that song is a fucking masterpiece. Um, the other song, it's kind of a song that, to, to not be dramatic, changed my life in many, many different ways, is uh, Locked in the Trunk of a Car by the Tragically Hip. Oh, fuck yeah. Come on, we've had we've had conversations about yeah. this before. So I was working at the Cheapo on Snelling and Ashland when I heard that song for the first time, and I was doing like it came in as a sample CD, and they were playing it, and I'd never heard of the Tragically Hip before, and we had this huge loose leaf binder of Excel spreadsheets before Excel spreadsheets existed <laughs> that were like the <laughs> nightly inventory, and so you, like you, everybody got assigned a section, and you'd go through, and you're like, all right, yeah, we sold this. No, we don't have that. Yes, we need to order three of these. Mm-hmm. Um, and that song came on, and the first line of the song is, I don't know how old I am. I have armor in my belly from the 16th century. It's Conquistador, I think. Fuck, yes. And it has nothing to do with the rest of the song. Nope. And the rest of the song is literally about a guy driving through the woods of northern, Arte- or driving through back roads on the woods of northern Ontario, trying to decide where to dump the body of someone that he's killed. And they may not actually be dead yet. And the the whole song is, you know, I I forgot the, or, uh, I destroyed the map that I carefully dotted, but every day I'm dumping the body. And the. The last minute of the, of the song is him screaming over and over again, let me out. And you don't know if it's the person in the car, and you don't know if it's him. And at that point in my life, there were a lot of things I wanted to be let out of. Yep. And th- that song, I was like, wow, what are these guys all about? And to this day, they are still one of the bands I feel most spiritually connected to in my adult life. I that That, that song introduced me to the intelligence and the creepiness and at the same time the the uh the almost sort of like psychotic joy of the tragically hip dude that's it uh that so i was i i found them way later in life when i had a little bit more depth to my sponge and it's all thanks to uh, a guy named jeremy hoyle aka hoss 
out of Buffalo, New York, uh, one of my favorite singer-songwriters mm-hmm. ever. We were blessed to have him in Minnesota a bunch of times, and uh, a lot of times when he was in Minnesota playing, he would stay at my apartment. And it was a lot of late-night sessions, just sitting up, playing music till the sun came up, and talking about shit, and then sleeping till 3 in the afternoon, getting up, do sound check, and go and do it all over again. And uh, I always... I always took that song as that was somebody killing something inside themselves, but that I don't know if, if that's me now without that part saying, let me out, or if that's the part of me that like, right. no, you, we don't need to die. We can just have this discussion and figure it out. But again, that's the, that's the joy of a lot of Gord's lyrics is you can interpret it in so many different ways. Yes. And it, all of them end in like awe-inspiring, incredible things. He was a rock and roll poet in the truest sense. Fuck yeah! And he was dark and creepy and weird, but he was also super funny. And he he writes some of the most touching lines in the late twentieth century that, that agree more. anyone has ever associated or uh, had with rock and roll. I mean, like you know, there's a song called "Don't Wake Daddy" where he writes a line. Um, sled dogs after dinner close their eyes in the howling wastes. Kurt Cobain reincarnated, smiles and licks his face. <laughs> so crazy. You know, like, <laughs> if he could be reincarnated as anything, that's the last thing in the world he would have chosen. A sled dog. But it would have been one way for him yep. to, like, experience a little, like, joy. Yep. Like, wow, this is really nice. And, and yeah, he no, would have, he would have picked heroin. Yeah. <laughs> well, but also just it, been heroin. Imagine a life where you're nondescript in the middle of a team. I think the 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 worst yoke that Cobain had to wear was that of fame and that of a frontman. Right. You know, like it's uh, all right. We could go on that one forever. Mm-hmm. I feel like this should well, we be a, this should be a, a raise a glass <laughs> kind of moment. Okay. Uh, and uh, and Charles, I believe you're up. Let's go. Cheers. Oh shit. That's all right. Katie, all right. Mm. Oh yeah, okay. Well, I'm bringing it down. This is a this is a goofy ass question. It, I had I ended up swapping a question for this one because it's silly and funny to think about. It just occurred to me a couple days ago. So JD, how good are you at estimating the amount of time you need to microwave something? Uh, fucking awful. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, do you go over or below? <laughs> Or does it vary wildly? I've been I've been burned, no pun intended, by uh, over overestimating <laughs> times on ovens and all sort of technological devices over my life. That we have we have a microwave in our house that we inherited from the previous owner. Um, okay. I probably used it four times, and every one of them, I'm like twelve seconds. <laughs> I don't care. I like I could put a roast in, and it would be fifteen seconds. Okay, no, it's not done yet. Like, because I just I lost the language of microwaves yeah. a long time ago. For sure, I don't I don't speak it anymore. <clears throat> it's a like, <laughs> well, and it's such, it's such a weird language because they're all they're also wildly different. Like, I I don't have any like I could tell the difference between like a fifty cc scooter, a hundred cc scooter, and a hundred and fifty cc scooter if I was driving it. But I don't actually know. Like, no one's ever broken down like what the difference in like what they're capable of is. And microwaves have an even wider swing on like what their like I guess it would be wattage is. <laughs> I don't fucking know. So I usually like looking at our current microwave. 
Outside of the, if you just hit start, it gives you 30 seconds. Yeah, it does that too. And if you it's hit the first one I've had that does that. If you hit one, yeah, it gives you one minute. minute. Yeah. If you hit two, five minutes. And it goes from there. Okay. I, don't, I don't understand why it works. So yeah. if it's something that I just need to like melt quick, like butter or something like that. You hit start. Yeah, hit start. I'll do the one minute sometimes if I need something to like maybe heat start to thaw or heal it. Yeah, something uh-huh. like that. But then I really just try and fuck with like the reheat plate thing <laughs> and it's miserable because then on on mine it, here's the best part i don't actually know what it means if you hit reheat plate the first thing that pops up is the number nine okay if you hit it again it says 12 if you hit it again it says 16 so i'm assuming maybe ounces, ounces? of food oh but i don't actually know if that's true and i don't really know what the it could that be sounds a, right though could be a code i don't so i i go to 12 or 16 because that's about what I would guess I'm eating, I guess. Okay, give me 12. And then whatever, hit it. Whatever 12 is. <laughs> and then it's literally like an arbitrary time that pops up on the clock. And it just goes for like four and a half minutes. And it makes different noises with the... F- I don't know what any of it's doing. I literally... I try desperately to heat everything that I have up in the oven. Or worst case scenario, we, we do have an air fryer. And I'll do that. Oh. But if I have yeah, to use... It's a fucking convection oven. Yeah, yeah. It's a mini convection oven. Exactly. Gets hot quick. That's really the only difference with my big oven. But um, I do like, for instance, I'll make a pan of enchiladas. And when we're getting down to the last few, I'll have like one for lunch, right? That's just way easier to throw it in the microwave. But if I do it on one minute on high, it'll be burnt around the edges and cold in the middle. If I do it for two minutes, <laughs> it's inedible on the edges, and it's actually decent. In the From middle. frozen, or would we? No, like out of the fridge. Oh, so your the power level must be lower because two minutes for enchiladas that would wild. Okay, yeah. but <laughs> if I do the reheat and I do twelve ounces or just the number twelve, I hit start. It's about three and a half minutes, and it gets enchiladas decently hot. Oh, so it, it modifies the power level for sure. Yeah. And I, I... Everyone does max power all the time. It's like people cooking on a range in, I don't think mine even 80s. has a power level. What's that? Mine doesn't have a power level. It just has like a it's whole... Got it. it has like, a whole brick of like different settings that you can use for food. And then it's got like... It's got a, Every microwave has power levels. It's just that we don't always know how to fucking change them. But <laughs> I right. think it's... It's like one to nine. I think nine is usually the max power level. I'll, I'll look at it when I get I'm home. Not a, I'm not a microwaveologist, so I couldn't fucking tell you the I don't even specifics. know where our microwave but that sounds like, I'm not going to lie. It sounds like it, it's lowering the power yeah. at which it is microwaving and then doing it like slow and steady. What actually think, makes a lot more sense. Maybe I shouldn't use max power on my. I'm not going to lie to you. What I actually think it's doing is yeah. I think it's doing max power for like 30 seconds and then low power for 30 seconds. Okay. Because it, it definitely... Maybe just blowing the fan? Could like be. Like alternating? Maybe. Okay. That'd be dope for like melting butter. Yeah. If it could do like could 10 do seconds, 10 not, second fan. And not get it seconds. to scorch all the, the proteins. Or to blast the fucking roof of the microwave, which is the worst. <laughs> like, uh, now I've done it. <laughs> right. I just... I. I I guess I, I keep having this, you know, image of like, you know, putting something in the microwave and not really paying attention to... <laughs> Not really paying attention to how much time I'm putting on it or what kind of power is actually heating up whatever said food stuff I put in and then opening the door and like a pterodactyl flying out. <laughs> you know, like I, I, <laughs> yeah, it could be, I could be anything. There's like, a pterodactyl the, egg, then yeah, I suppose exactly. that would happen. <laughs> you know. Charles, uh, what, 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 yeah. what is your, how, how, first of all, how often do you use a microwave? I try never to use a yeah. microwave. Right. Uh, I'll use it to like reheat tea, um, well, occasionally to, 
heat food. It depends on what the food is. Uh, if it's in, like if I have food in a Tupperware container and it's like the right amount of food for a serving, yes, it is going to go in the microwave. Like today I had, my mom makes this uh, beef and barley stew with uh, segments of uh, segments of bone marrow in it. Good God. Is, it's, my, it's my favorite stew. It's got a lot of cinnamon yeah. in it, which is yeah. a very Lebanese thing Fuck to do. Fuck off for yeah. not sharing that. And I had like just enough of it to throw in the microwave. So of course I throw it in the microwave. And I'm like, I don't let me hit the start button and see what happens. So that's 30 seconds. Stone cold, right? <laughs> it's stone cold day, so that was appropriate. Steve so it yeah. wasn't, it, it did, if you hit that, it didn't it did nothing. three minutes and 16 seconds? It did nothing. So then I threw it in another 30 seconds. I was like, that's got to be good. And I started eating it, and I ate some marrow out of one of the bones, and it was hard and cold. And I was like, just I just wasted mouth, like, some of yeah. that marrow. And, and I've been eating super healthy, so eating that stew is like one of, that's the closest thing to a cheat meal I've had. Sure. Other than some dumplings I had. Uh, a couple weeks ago from Peter Beyond, the dumplings he's been yeah. doing, which were fantastic, by the way. But <laughs> then I was like, okay, back in, right? So I throw it back in. And then that <laughs> time I did like 40 seconds. I, I, I'd like to say that I'm neither good nor bad. I just fucking guess. And I'm almost always wrong because I use yeah. my microwave so infrequently. And I'll also say that uh, I was improperly trained to use a microwave because my mom will enter numbers like, I shit you not, 199. When I was a kid, I'm like, <laughs> why, are you, why are you doing this? Well, two would be way too much. Yeah, but 199 is... Oh, it's yeah, minute, it's, it's, two minutes and 36 seconds. Dude, what the fuck is going... 30, no, that's 39. not right. No, Hold two, on. It, two minutes and 39 <laughs> seconds. That'd be... 239. One, 199. Yeah, 239. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, she would always enter numbers over 60. Damn so it, Now like, I want to try that. Over 59, and I'm like, why are you doing this to me? And she'd be like, no, it's, it's come on. You know that dish takes 199 to heat up. <laughs> to quote Carl the Mailman Malone, because I can, Wayne. Because I can. <laughs> right. Oh, my God. I, yeah. Fuck. I, I, the, the, the best use of my microwave is for me to put other shit on top of it that I don't know where it goes. Like, that's where I, when we have something new that comes into the kitchen, it just hangs out over there. If we have a dish that we have to return to somebody, that's where it hangs mm-hmm. out until it's time We have to a go. build-in above our range. We probably right. wouldn't have bought one. It can be useful for certain things. Like, uh, when, I do, when I do crab, I'm not going to boil my crab. I don't want all those good essentials to get washed away. What I do is moisten a paper towel, wrap it around the crab legs, throw it in the microwave for literally 10 to 15 seconds. Steamy, that's steamy. a thing that I know. Yep, just like a real quick zap. Uh, that's a thing that I know how to do. Mm. David Chang's on this kick now of using the microwave for everything. I don't know if you've seen this on his Instagram. I think it's fucking ridiculous. Like, come on, dude, what point are you trying to prove? Don't make me cook rice. He's like, it's quicker to cook rice in your microwave. It only takes 17 minutes. I'm like, dude, my rice cooker takes 12 minutes. Yeah, so why that. would I use the microwave? Jesus. Right. I will say, <clears throat> I will say that I did use our microwave at our previous abode uh, to heat water for things, but the fact sure. that I live in a house where the water comes out of the tap at one hundred and sixty-one point seven degrees, like we're good. So yeah. I don't, I, I can make simple syrup off Daddy the tap. Can play. Yeah, it's exactly. amazing. So I'm, I've already accepted. My wife and I will be looking for a, a new house probably this summer, and I've already accepted the fact that I'm probably going to have to re-ingratiate myself with some sort of water heating thing. Are you a because, coffee guy? Of course, but I'm an espresso guy. So I'm Okay, so say get a beautiful gooseneck kettle like the yeah. one that no, I have from the fellow the stag. That thing's I am cold pressed year round, which is again where we disagree. Sure. I'm cold pressed year round, but I love a hot espresso. So mm-hmm. got it. Do you have an espresso maker at home or do you just well, usually no, order them? We we splurged. We have 
you espresso it up. Yeah. Yeah. Our shit's okay. baller. That's that's the most so expensive. You don't really need a kettle. No. Nope. But maybe in that instance, you could use one mm. instead of having a microwave. You would just have a kettle. I can't tell you what a beautiful morning ritual it is for Lisa and our daughter Nina to make their espresso drinks next to each other together. It, I mean, I watch my wife do it, and I love it. We even have our dog is now even trained. So we our our nickname for our espresso machine is Treat Machine because Jenny gets up before I do and she showers and does all her stuff. And then that's usually kind of when I'm coming out of sleep and like I usually try and read a bunch of like what's going on in the world, news articles. And then when she's done getting ready, the next thing that she always does is make an espresso. And Millie will be in a dead sleep under the covers and will Bolt, bolt up and take off running because she knows that she gets her dental treat, the little chewy thing sure, that's sure. good at cleaning their, their yeah. teeth. Mm-hmm. She gets that when Jenny gets up and makes espresso. Oh boy. So from from our bedroom, like if I get up and like, you know, go use the restroom or whatever, all you see is the dog that was previously comatose, like twenty seconds ago, sitting at perfect military attention, ears up, with the cutest look on her face. Mm-hmm. Watching mom just press go on the espresso machine, right. and then she'll grab the dental <laughs> treat, and then she brings it back into the, the bedroom and lays on the bed, and she crushes it. She thinks somehow that's how it's happening. Yep. Like, <laughs> so now, like, if Jenny's gone, when I, when I just have an espresso, Millie will come running out, and she's like, treat machine. <laughs> treat machine. Uh, oh, yeah. I got some, oh, you want a little bit of that? Yeah. We, we should pop that. Uh, while JD is popping this, do you want to tell everybody what that is? This is uh, the Abino Cava. Abino Cava. It's from España. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's our house go-to. Uh, we get it from a really nice place in our neighborhood in South Minneapolis, and it's always chilled. Ken and Norms? Uh, no, this is uh, uh, from South Mobile. Ooh, yeah. again, incredible. Yeah, um, and I just, it's, it's my uh, my favorite bubbly at home. It's nice and dry. And one of the things that I like about it is this new cocktail that I've discovered during the pandemic is uh, is adding a splash of tequila. Mm-hmm. Reposados in particular. Caralicioso. Uh, yeah. And then you suggested that I add something bitter like Campari or mm. Aperol to it. A um, little lemon to you. And uh, mm. so I would mm. like to commemorate the fact that uh, we are Rona Poke brothers by... <laughs> Popping the bottle. I'm bitch. just gonna go say, as the only person in this room with headphones on, that might have been the greatest sound we've ever heard on this. <laughs> nice, like, that's fantastic. It literally, I because everybody was quiet. I even got the reverb from the room. That was yeah. that was that was real nice. We didn't even say, "Let's get it popping." Abino, real nice, Clark. I'm gonna get 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 it popping. Yeah, it was just before we started recording, I said, this is the day I didn't bring Crispy Boys on Stone Cold Steve Austin Day. But I was like, all right, the, the kava will have to do its light bubbles. But Stone Cold wouldn't be drinking that in the ring after he just stunned his boss and the referee and everybody to, to, else. To Esteban Austin. Yeah. <laughs> to the, the Steve Austin. I don't know what stone is in Espanol. And nor do I. My wife could answer that. Stone Frio Esteban <laughs> Austin. <laughs> All right, let's roll. What do we got next there, Kwame? Oh, yeah. All right, I'm going to bring it back to food. And solar, sort of the polar opposite of what uh, Charles had asked to start this off. Is there 
anything right now looking at the food economy that you would like to see take off as a trend? Something that you're into, maybe something that restaurants and chefs are talking about, but like hasn't been grasped onto by people, or maybe something that we used to do that was great that we've forgotten about. Is there something that you want to beacon spotlight in the food scene, whether it's at home or in restaurants? I, yeah, I uh, really, really healthy food, minimal or in, in maximum attention to ve- vegetables. I mean, I think we've had our period of indulgence. You know, like it, we we had a really good run with it. You know, the the days of uh, uh, Pied de Cochon and Joe Beef, you know, really taught us what could be possible with um, <laughs> the the things that we do with really old and classic French recipes and turning them on their ear with modern modern indulgence. You know, the the age of foie gras on a hamburger with gravy and a fried egg had its time, and we had a really good time doing that, and we all learned how to do that, and we learned how to give a giant middle finger to what high-end food was supposed to be and bring that down to a level where everybody could uh, accept it and take part in it. Um, but I think, you know, what we talked about earlier, you know, using the phrase stripping the veneer from things, you know, removing the bacon from mm-hmm. from the recipe, um, I I I want to see a lot more of that. Like I I really I personally want to experience um you know like I said a, a lot of vegetables that are treated min- minimally, you know, like something that's seared or braised with just a little bit of garlic and white wine and 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 salt. Um you know, I I want to see I want to see the trademark of a chef's skill in how he or she or they can put together a salad, um, compose a salad, so to speak. Yep. I mean, I'm talking like, you know, a layered vinaigrette that's going to hold for the, the cook on the line, you know, so you're teaching the cook on the line who is working in the pantry station. That's usually where you relegate the least experienced cook to realize that when I take that out of the cooler at the beginning of service at five o'clock, it stays held emulsified without breaking all the way until the end of service. That is the skill set of a chef that needs to teach somebody who's going to carry this forward. And then in the meantime, the salad that 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 cook, that line cook is using to put together has the right amount of radish in it. And it's distributed evenly throughout the salad. And people aren't just throwing different kinds of cheese on top of it willy-nilly, you know, and you'll, you'll work through it. I think that really cool things like that are going to be the trademark of somebody who has skills, really cares about the food, and more important than anything else, really cares about the ingredients and where they're coming from. Can I, just to further that question, um, what do you think it says about our culture that we put the most inexperienced person on the pantry station, which literally has the most delicate ingredients? I, to me, I think that's always been indicative of what we want or what we, what we give our society and we teach them to want is the fact that that, the fresh vegetables, the most delicate ingredients, is the throwaway part. That's the, the, the newbie. You know, you put the machines on saute, you put the machines on, on grill or on fry. Well, yeah, the saute is the rock star station. You know, the expo right. is the rock star station. But I disagree with you. Do because you? I, I do, because I'm coming from a kitchen perspective, and I, you know... I, I still grew up in a vestige of the classical era, and essentially, sure. like one of the reasons that you put someone who's least experienced in the pantry station, where they're dealing with some of the most delicate ingredients, pastries mm-hmm. and lettuces mm-hmm. 
and fresh vegetables is because that's sink or swim. If that person can't learn how to understand those and plate those well and care for them the right way, they don't belong in a kitchen. And I think this is just more indicative of the fact that I never worked in one of your kitchens. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I worked. I worked in kitchens. Uh, e- even there are two restaurants that I, I uh, due to issues with, um, we'll just say politics at the time. Yeah. That I had to cover for some people that uh, unfortunately were not able to work for a few months, and uh, I was just floored that, like, looking at the fact that, oh, the one station that we can always just give to whoever, like the fucking bartender is the pantry station because we don't really, like, they don't really care about the salad. And I didn't get it at the time. And now looking back on it, it's, it's just been one of those things that has kind of always bothered me. Uh, but that's also because I've been wrestling with my own, my own weight and my health. And do I want to live for another 41 years? Or do, I you know, as do I, but like, those are the things that, you know, that we all kind of like struggle with because of what we're fed from every single commercial, from every single thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know. Uh, well, it, sorry, yeah. keep going. I, 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 was, I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, no, not at all. Like, I, I mean, I, yeah, to, to a large extent, I agree with you on that, too. I mean, I guess, you know, what, do, what is everybody else's perception of how a kitchen really operates? Like, what, pardon me, what do most people remember from their, the meal experience that they paid $100 per person for? You know, and that's the hot entree or that's, you know, the, the, the pasta course or whatever it is. I mean, they tend to forget the salad despite how beautifully the salad was prevented or pre, uh, presented and, and how well it was tossed. Um, I really wonder whether or not people moving forward are going to be able to continue that experience. I mean, like, I don't know what the dining experience is going to be like mm-hmm. for people in sit-down restaurants. But I do know that in order to maintain that kind of skill level, you have to learn, you know, to get to that rock star status cooking the hot stuff, you can never forget how well you had to take care of the really delicate things moving forward. And that, you know, ideally is, is a skill set that gets developed for, a sh- you know, a sh- someone who wants to become a chef mm-hmm. moving forward. And that's one of the uh, impetuses behind that. Um, I... I'm curious to see whether or not that's that's going to continue and but I just I think it's it's something very serious. I mean, quite frankly, like whenever Lisa and I go out to dinner, that's really something that we always look forward to. Like, you know, what kind of salads do they have? Let's order one, let's see if it's really good. Sounds really good. Are they gonna put it together the right way? You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Maybe having some more uh attention driven restaurants in that regard where Perhaps for salads, they're using more, uh, you know, sumac, edible flowers, uh, kumquats, things like that that, yeah. are, that are simple but are elevating. Uh, to me, I, I think that, that maybe that's the difference between a Joe Beef or a Noma, where at right. Noma they're doing so many, like, uh, uh, vegetal forward. Literally, th- these foods are, uh, many of their dishes are vegan because they're exploring this bounty of uh, available edibles that even their, their guests have no comprehension of their existence i could see and i actually actively hope for things like that to become more normalized including um fermentations of berries with right. you know they're just they're they're just fermenting you're adding sodium and and almost nothing else and just watching uh what occurs over months and years 
I think that uh, I would I would greatly respect seeing that type of a uh, uh, progression in restaurants. Oh, totally, Charles. I mean, and, you know, in giving, you know, citing what you just said, you know, bringing up the uh, uh, bringing up Noma and the Scandinavian approach to that. I mean, again, we we live where we live here in in Minnesota in the North Country, you know, in Northern Wisconsin, and um, a lot of ingredients that are indigenous to this area are just being discovered by people who live there, live here. Yeah. You know, there, there aren't a lot of things that, uh, have given stage to that. That's why I'm super excited to see what Sean Sherman is going to do. Dude, he's so amazing. Um, you know, and again, like, you know, using some of the fermentation processes that come from Northern Europe and combining those with these ingredients that have been here for literally hundreds of thousands of years, you know, it, provides to me the experience that i love most about cooking and the fact that you know it's a time machine you know you you flavor on a plate can take you back to some place that you never ever thought you would be but also helps you respect and enjoy where you are right now that's a recent trend that touches on that as well that i've greatly appreciated and it's still growing it's picking up steam and we'll see what happens now when restaurants are more actively open and more uh uh, encouraged to write new menus and things, but seeing locally foraged ingredients, yeah. even even the stuff that is quite pedestrian for people who have foraged for a long time. I've I've been an amateur forager for a long time, but seeing uh, nettles and fiddlehead ferns mm-hmm. and chanterelles and morels and ramps on menus is spectacular. Like people people to this day still ask me what, what the what the fuck's a ramp? You know, if I make like right. if I if I have a party at my house and I shuck a bunch of oysters and make like a ramp mignonette. A pickled ramp and what the fuck is what the fuck is a ramp right like have a taste motherfucker same thing with fiddlehead ferns like yeah. putting that on mm-hmm. a dish and watching people go what are these they're fucking oh my delicious. god unbelievable yeah they're like more <laughs> these are delicious nature's asparagus. snails yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know it's so fucking cool and of course like taking advantage of that we've seen a little bit of it because those are like very commonly found things but having chefs discover or at least uh present things that we are not aware of in new and interesting ways well, cattail roots and uh, yeah. uh, milkweed pods mm-hmm. like you know alan burgo is doing some really cool stuff right now in fact he i think just finished his or yeah he finished and submitted his cookbook you know he's a yes. chef who worked in a couple of restaurants up here he's such a cool guy you know he's really really thoughtful about his approach to foraging and um you know he's done some writing for uh, uh the minnesota uh, dnr uh, magazine that comes to your house every month mm. if you're signed up for it, conservation volunteer. Um, but yeah, like the the way that he's embraced this, and I think he's got a YouTube channel now as well. It, it, he's really really smart about his approach to it. And again, like it's it's one of those things where it's it's really not that hard. It's it's what humanity has been doing here where we live for a really really long time. You just have to make the decision to stop all the noise in your life. And be mindful when you walk in the woods and really look for these beautiful things that can not only nourish you as far as calories go, but also give you the experience of nourishing your soul by truly connecting with being outside. How dope is that? Like cellophane beef is the looking at your cell phone and slamming into someone's shopping cart of foods, whereas hunting for morels is the don't even bring your fucking phone and yep. like yep. really see the world for the first time yep. probably this month 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it makes you yeah. see nature. Yeah, like wa- <laughs> you have to zone in so hard at every Walk, leaf. Walking naked into every, your backyard, you know, yeah. like that. You spot caterpillars you've never seen before, fucking chipmunks uh, making their habitat. It's yeah, that's it's pretty fascinating. Yeah. I've I've talked a little bit about on this podcast about my my love for psychedelics and and natural born things like that like psilocybin, and uh, there's a, a group that I love I've, that band. I've <laughs> I've, <laughs> I've signed up for it uh, two years in a row, and I'm going to continue to go. <laughs> but we, uh, if you if you get to go on it, it's a it's a, a basically through religious ordination, it's a legal mushroom retreat, mm. but. The caveat is you have to go find them yourself. Mm-hmm. So phones are completely prohibited. Technology completely prohibited. You just go out into nature, and it's you and nature working together. And, you know, it may be that one person finds them, and then, you know, you bring everything back and you do that. But the idea that you're already going to center yourself in nature before you have an experience like that, I th- I, that's fucking incredible. Oh, totally. Well, did I mean, it ties into that... <laughs> It ties into that that meme that I reposted after seeing it on Instagram and laughing for a half an hour straight. It was like, you know, wow, how how weird is it that humanity had to like kind of figure out what mushrooms were? Like, you know, the trial and error we all went through. Like, wow, this one tastes like steak. That one killed Dennis Dennis instantly, and this one makes you see God right. for five yep. days. And we just kept trying them. And thank you to hey, all of our predecessors thanks for to, <laughs> thanks to each of those. For, for I, just, I just love that those are spe- you know those are essentially still the same three categories. You know, like this one tastes like steak. Mm-hmm. This one kills all your best friends right away. And this one makes <laughs> us see God. And this one can help you spend you some know, time like with God. Like everything else does. Right. Fuck. I don't. I don't know if I don't think I answered that question. Neither of us have. We, oh yeah. Yeah. We we, we just really settled in on the the vegetation aspect, so, which is great. Charles, what is what would you say? Uh, I'll take it in a totally different direction. So something I have noticed or I did notice was beginning to take hold a little bit. And it's uh, what's old is new again, which Mm -hmm. frequently happens in uh, all facets of life. But table side service, I love, especially like we're going to be so enthusiastic as a society about uh, being near to people, including uh, service people, uh, chefs and, and waiters and bartenders and we're going to be like, especially someone like me, I really miss that uh, intrinsic like melding of energies with like my my barkeep, you know, like, yes, let's talk. What What's good? What's do you have a new bottle of something? Haitian rum. Cool. Make me something with it. Like, I really I really miss that synergy. And a part of me really worries that a lot of the people that I could find at the places that I love the most that survived this are no longer going to be there anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's some small solace to be found in the fact that I'll make new connections with the people who are there in their place, but I'll definitely also mourn mm-hmm. not having some of my favorite people there. The table side thing is just another way for, in, in some cases it would be someone from the kitchen. In some cases it's going to be someone in front of the house. But the the interactivity of someone preparing something for you and just like adding that personal touch to to the the scenario that you're experiencing. The last dinner my wife and I Marnie had at um, out to eat was at uh, Julia, mm. which is a restaurant, uh, a very new restaurant. This is over a year ago now. It's a year and like four days. Yeah. It just popped up on my memories. Wow. 
it was in, it was already sort of like a nerve wracking dinner, but they do this really beautiful um, uh, hand hand pulled mozzarella platter, mm -hmm. and you can so do, good. Yeah, it's Dude, spectacular. The, the yeah, it, chili went there too. That's right. No, we did all of them. We were like, "Fuck it, just give us the whole." Yeah. Even at the time, we were like, "Is this going to be the last time we get to eat out in a while?" And so we were like, it felt a little, um, little. There was a little bit of like sorrow in the air, like a little bit of sweet bitterness. But you, we didn't know why at the time because we didn't know what was happening quite yet. But it didn't feel right. We were just like. We were staying at the hotel. We had a staycation, and we were like, let's just have a nice dinner and, you know, see what happens. And that was – I'm so happy that that was one of the last things right. that I had served to me because they bring over the cart, and they're pulling – they're doing the whole mozzarella and pulling it in the water and then adding all the accoutrement. It did, is did fucking beautiful. Oh, yeah. presentation? They braid it? Yep. Yeah. That's so cool. It's Yeah, it's really something. And they are still here because I mentioned them – to somebody on the phone and they started popping up on my Instagram again because that's what happens to us now. <laughs> there uh, are like, oh, okay, chefs that pioneered that has left though. So okay. it may not be the same experience. Sure. Uh, I mean, and, and you know, maybe, maybe we don't go back there, but I just remember thinking, wow, this was really uh, inventive and interactive and fun and cool. And I just love that mechanic of a restaurant. I know not everybody's built for it, but remember the, right. uh, Remember, like, the pastry cart even uh, yep. for brunch at yeah. um, Bachelor Farmer? Of course. And some other restaurants do that. That's super cool. Like, the fucking dim sum cart, dude. Yeah. Is there anything cooler than the dim There's sum cart? never anything cooler than that. And your eyes being bigger than your stomach and being like, just give me one of each of them and we'll sort it out. And then being like, why did we do this? Exactly. <laughs> and just looking at all those check marks when. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, and then it's 30 bucks. Yep. Right. And then it's 30 bucks. <laughs> You're like, what the fuck? I can't, I can't get up from my chair. Right. And I owe you $30. <laughs> I do. I do want to give a shout out though, uh, to the chef from Julia who pioneered that. Uh, he is opening, his name's uh, Chef uh, Headquest. He is opening Joey Meatballs in the new uh, Malcolm Yards uh, food hall that will oh. be opening early, early Congratulations, summer. Congratulations, Joey Meatballs. Yeah. So, is that uh, like Americanized Italian street food kind of shit? Yeah, but he's doing all fresh pasta. So they're making fresh pasta to do that. And then they're trying to do like basically like counter service where you can come up. They'll have the sauces all set. And then you can say which of, like, the four or six noodles you want. And then it's all literally fresh pasta, dip in hot water, boom, Dunk, and then sauce. And then bowl. you pick your different meatballs. Yep. Um, okay, so it's like a mix-and-mash pasta station? Kind of. From what I understand, and this is just from his cool. Instagram. I can do that too. Uh, I followed him through a couple of restaurants, and, and dude is legit. Like, he kills it. Yeah. Uh, and honestly, like, Jenny and I felt the same way. Like, that was magical. And to have somebody come up and, you know, I've, I've made mozzarella before and, I mean, my hands turn out like, like dog belly pink when I do it because the water is so hot. And this dude was just <laughs> hanging out, bullshitting with us. He's telling jokes. And then he mixed ours. We, did, we just did the Calabrian chili mm -hmm. one. But he literally, like, mashed up fresh Calabrian chilies into it and then served it so it was, like, fruity and spicy and Incredible. It was Calabrian chili, and there was a balsamic one, mm -hmm. and then I believe the third one was just like the tomato preparation, like little wow. grape tomatoes. Oh, and so good. when you do all three, they essentially just give you like the big platter with all the accoutrement all around it. It's just Ooh. yeah, wow, spectacular. Totally. Uh, my thing, and this is just a short one, and my my thing is, I I really hope, and this is more Midwest centric. I I, I hope that we walk away from this and get back to like rational okay portion sizes like 
Look, yes. And again, I, <laughs> I have been an imbiber of all of the massive portion sizes. I love it. But in all reality, we don't need to eat that much of anything. No. And if you're selling somebody dinner and telling them ahead of time, you're going to take at least half of this home. I don't give a shit how you reheat it. I don't care how inexperienced you are with your microwave. It doesn't really matter what happens to this food. You're teaching people not to respect what they're consuming. And on top of it, we're also teaching everybody, please don't cook at home. Just, just order too much at restaurants and then eat your leftovers the next day. Overpay for it. And put it in, I, put it in packages that are going to do damage to landfills. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Do, um, <laughs> so, you know, my, my, my favorite American writer is Jim Harrison. Of right? course. Okay. So course. Jim Harrison used to write about and tell a story about how uh, uh, when he was writing screenplays in Hollywood, he and Jack Nicholson became really good friends. And so Jim Harrison, who grew up in, uh, uh, in Leelanau County, Michigan, and had a cabin up in the UP, and that's where most of his stories that I fell in love with him about, I mean, he's one of us. That's, you mm-hmm. know, where, where he came from. Um, that's why I identified with him so much. So during the, the, the heady days of Bacchanal in late 70s and, and early to mid-80s Hollywood Jim Harrison was hanging out with all these movie stars, and he goes to a party at, uh, uh, at Jack Nicholson's house, and he volunteers to cook a, a, a 12-course dinner. And it, it was all based on, like, wild game that he, he had shot himself and this and that. And, you know, you can only imagine the people who were at this dinner, right? You know, they were more interested in going to the bathroom every 12 minutes than they were in tasting what, you know, I'm Robert Evans, and what I'm going to tell you right now is this food is fine, but I'd rather have a pound of cocaine. Anyway, Jim Harrison, go ahead. There's the the impression. (laughs) You needed it. So Jack, like Jim Harrison is just upset about the fact that, you know, no one's eating all this food and that they're not enjoying it. They don't understand it. And Jack walks up to Jim and he puts his hand on his shoulder and he said, only in the Midwest is overeating considered an act of heroism. <laughs> Honestly, that and might then, be in the next T-shirt. <laughs> only, only in the Midwest is overeating considered an act. If of I had heroism. a T-shirt for every time you said that's going to yep. be the next T-shirt, we wouldn't have to wear anybody else's T-shirts. We, we would just have all these T-shirts. We would just have t- fifteen T-shirts, eighteen, nineteen T-shirts. <laughs> I love it. So I know what you're saying. Yeah, that's it. And honestly, like again, it's it's my upbringing in the clean plate club shit. Where if it's served Mm -hmm. to me on a plate, I feel like I have to consume it. It's my own mental issues. It's everything. But it also teaches kids that that's how much food you're supposed to eat, and you have to work up to it. And I I don't think that's the way. No, it's not that we should look at it. You know. We're not expending those calories in our day-to-day lives anymore. I, I always go back to, um, you know, like the, the small, original, cylindrical Red Bull can? Mm-hmm. The yeah. reason that that is the size that it is, the reason that Red Bull made that can, which did not exist on Earth before that, is because when they got their formula to the way that they wanted it, and it tasted right, and it didn't hurt your tongue or make you feel like you were drinking metal bubble gum, uh that was the amount of caffeine that one human being is supposed to have in a day. Sure. Yep. That's where it started. And now Red Bull has 19.2 ounce cans. Right. They got the it's all boys. the same shit. Mm-hmm. Like it's, we've bent it 
because we we do that with everything. We've bent it to give me more, give me more. As your shareholders, we demand a certain profit margin. There it is. That's and also, I mean, if you dine in other major cities, particularly like the real big food cities, go somewhere like Chicago and sit down at Longman and Eagle and order off their menu. Nothing, nothing perfect. there is over twenty dollars. Nope. You know why? Because they're manageable portion sizes. Yep. And you know what else happens? I get those duck meatballs with the you know blackberry gastric or whatever it is that they have that day, and I tear them up. I eat all five meatballs, five yep. tiny meatballs, and I say, "Fuck, that was good." send me another one mm-hmm. right but we don't trust people in the twin cities to do that we're trying to get as big of ticket prices i'm not saying everybody it's not universal but no. sometimes it's if someone sits down and they're ordering just an entree and a cocktail we want them out the door 40 you know like yep. so there's right. there's some confusion there like some places who still will do like a chicken breast entree with like broccoli robin mashed potatoes and charge 42 dollars. i see that and i'm like that's too much food and that's too much money i want to yep. try your menu but they understand that there are people coming in. We're downtown. They're business people. We want them to buy a plate, and we want them to spend $60, yep. get that and a drink, and then out the door. Other cities that have people dine more frequently, they're more accustomed, I think, to just ordering and, like, trying yep. things and then just ordering more if they want. If they don't want any more, they'll be back next Tuesday. I mean, looking at our outside of Friday and Saturday, what do we have? Probably two turns in a dinner service, maybe three. So I understand the financial push to do that, but – if there's a trend that I want to see go away, it's that. I think we, we can retrain my, people because people are going to eat out can. more now because well, we're and, so excited about going out again. Yeah. Right. And, and, and from a personal point of view, like my attitude toward that has always been you know, the same thing. Like, you know, I don't, you know, like I said earlier about like, you know, I don't want you to take home the food the next day. Like, I don't want to have to put it in a package that I don't, you know, feel good about you throwing away mm. later on. I also like when you eat it the next day, when you throw it in the microwave for the mm-hmm. wrong amount of time, yeah. you know, it's not going to, that's what you're going to remember. That's you know? the last bite of my food is going to be the one that you had at one ninety nine. you <laughs> yeah. know? And like, you know, so the sauce is fried to shit, you know, the, the mm-hmm. potatoes that came along with it are dry and crumbly. Like, Oh, I guess that experience wasn't very good. And so, yeah, they remember the last bite, right? Like the very and, last and if bite. it happened in their home and they used it in the microwave or they put it in the oven and forgot about it, you know, that I can't control that anymore. But more than anything else, that's why I have always been a huge fan as a chef of a manageable portion size with maximum flavors because Mm. like you're talking about with the duck uh, meatballs at Longman and Eagle, like, yes, you may want more, but a lot of times you're going to eat that and you're like, that was really fucking good. And you just sit there and have a drink and meditate on that for a while. Right. You know, like, to me, that's the whole point of food is to put – you know, the, the proper nutrition and the maximum amount of flavor into it and let people savor it. I mean, life, life, life is to be savored. You know, the dining, dining experience and drinking experience and the experience you have with your friends is to be savored. So savor it. Don't just consume it, you know, like. Yeah. Everything about it. Isn't that the best part? Just sitting around with your people. And this is the stuff we all fascinated about right now. Just being around big tables that look like these with your friends and like. You know, popping one meatball in your mouth, laughing until you cry at a joke your friend told, doing shots with picklebacks, mm-hmm. which is another thing they do at Longman and Eagle, just for yes, they do. shits and giggles. Like, it makes whiskey go away. Yeah, You've never had that whiskey. It's, it's so weird. good. Slowing it down. Because right. in other countries, they overeat, but at least they take a really long time to do yeah. it, whereas we'll overeat in like 30 right. minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, Yeah, that's the turn and burn version of it. I just, ugh. Right. I and think that deserves a shot, speaking of. Yeah. I already just, I just took one. I'm going to take another one. Oh, I don't disagree. <laughs> so, um, Bonus shot go, going back to, uh, 
going to back to my dear departed friend that I never met, Jim Harrison, mm-hmm. he, uh, his, late, his posthumous collection of essays. Cheers to Jim. Cheers to Jim Harrison. Was called a, a really big lunch. And it was he and several of his friends in both the literary and gastronomic community in France arranging for a 37 course meal that took several hours. And uh, he, <laughs> there's a line in the essay that says something along the lines of, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure before I even get too far into this, I'm going to be vilified by people for spending more money on a lunch than the average four-door Volvo costs. <laughs> but to be fair, none of my friends and I needed a new car. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. But again, <laughs> again, I will say it, indulgence in a moment is legit. Well, right. Indulgence without even forethought is just gluttony. And that's the difference for me. We mm-hmm. all we all have to treat ourselves. We all have to do that thing. I love getting together with a huge group of people and partying and doing whatever. But at the end of the day, what I really need for my heart and for my soul is one-on-one, two-on-one conversations mm-hmm. like this. This is what makes me happy. I love a big group here and there. The problem is we've taught diners for 20, 30, 40 years that you need a big group at all times around you. That's what's on your plate. Yeah. It's everyone you've ever known sitting there, and you have to consume all of it in 30 to 50 minutes. Otherwise, we're going to be like pushing you out the door. Do you want another dessert? Are we going to have anything? Let me box that up. Let's get you the fuck out of here. Here's your tab whenever you want to pay. We're teaching people that that time isn't worth it. It's consume, 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 and leave. And that's, that's why, why, yeah, that's why the service part is 50-50 with the food part is because if it's just about sustenance, you didn't need to come here. Mm-hmm. You can make crab, cra- you can right. make crab mac and cheese and tater tots. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> just sit on your couch and watch Netflix. It's okay. Yeah, more than welcome if you're gonna to. come here with other people, you came here for a reason, and it's it's about the experience, not just the food is part of the experience. The flavors are part of the experience. The the smells, the sounds, it's all part of the experience. But the experience is also like an intimate one with the individuals that you're present with, and also you know for me, it's it's also with the people who are already there, including like if my friends at another table and like the service staff and oh the maitre d oh the sommelier like that whole, it's a symphony you know it's, all those it, things yeah, are important. so right it's, Charles, it's not just so filling right. your belly Absolutely. it's yeah. a fucking symphony that's it right it's it's exactly it's it's how you feel and, and how does the decor uh uh excite your imagination you know like and does it make you feel like you're someplace else does it make you feel like you're more where you are right now i mean like the art of that to me is just as important as the creativity and necessity of sustenance that goes into the flavor on the plate and as far as the hospitality that comes to you, the way that you're spoken to by the person who's bringing you the meal and your drinks and introducing you to the experience. You know, like your, your curator, you know, on yeah. is, is really is as important to that as anything else. Fucking love it. All right, Me well, too. cheers. We just did. Uh, Charles, what the I fuck believe, is up, Denny's? I, I have believe- to say that. <laughs> 
fuck is up, Denny's? <laughs> uh, we, we can never do a JD return episode without saying, what the fuck is no. up, Without Denny's. the fuck is up, Denny's. <laughs> TV static with somebody from the room next to you. He's shouting the flavor. Yeah. Every yeah, single time. Right. <laughs> I love that the first Mango. thing I, first thing I thought of when I cracked this was like, <laughs> nothing! Yeah. yeah. Okay, because we, uh, we have pure LaCroix, which is <laughs> exactly. LaCroix. Which goes to my, uh, my Buddhist practices of nothingness. I, so. I feel like uh, that's something I screamed when I was in metal bands. Yeah, Exactly. Literally nothing. that word. It's Not very... that I'm screaming nothing, but screaming nothing. It's legitimately, <laughs> it's legitimately on point. All right, question number five. Uh, yeah, we're getting a, little, well, getting a little more serious. Okay. JD, name something life-altering that you've experienced that you wish others uh, could or can experience in their lives. That was such a perfect pregnant pause. Sorry. Yeah. We um, require them. We can. <laughs> yeah. No, I love it. We're always rambling and again, on. It's okay to have pauses. Again, if you want to buy time, you're more than welcome for us to no, jibber jabber. This, this is good. Um, man, you know, like saying this the right way, I guess. I guess loss. Um, but, but the reason that I choose that is because it has to go along with knowing that the pain associated with loss is something that doesn't go away and that you need to pay attention to and you need to understand why you're feeling it. Um, because that all reflects back on you. You know, like, I can think about, you know, the the loss from the death of a loved one. I can think about the loss from... Uh, something that one becomes used to or a sense of comfort one has, the loss of a lover, you know, all of those things come down to the fact that you had feelings for something that you don't have a place to put them anymore. You know, and, and the, the jamming up of those emotions gets pushed back in you, and that's what pain is. That's what emotional pain is. Um, so you're you're saying, like, actually expressing and feeling it as opposed to burying it yes well under no understanding it okay like the 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 process of allowing yourself to understand because there's a yeah there are i mean i i've done that for most of my life i think most people do is that yeah you know pain is something to get over and move on from but to understand why you're feeling something Mm -hmm. is is the greatest tool any of us have i think to evolution personal evolution you know, I mean, maybe I'm, I'm probably not answering the question the right way because everyone experiences that. Everybody, Fuck, no, 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 we, no, no, we, yeah, we Fuck all observe that. all of these questions in our own ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. You are right the you fuck know, on for what your truth is. You know, the thank you for saying. I appreciate that. Um, but, but I, I think the last year has been one of the few communal experiences that our country has had for a really long time, that our planet has had for a really long time, because we've See, all lost something. It's probably all, the most uh, universal mm-hmm. event we've ever had. Yeah. In, in our lifetimes, for sure. Yeah. For human, yeah, modern human civilization. That, yeah. that, and that we've communicated about in time. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you know, ob- obviously, you know, in the... 14th century the black death you know 
right. that, that was a very communal experience for, <laughs> you know, 30% of the planet. Separate, communal. Um, but, uh, but the communication wasn't there. I mean, like, we, we right. didn't know that it came from China. We didn't know that people in China were dying at the rate that, that, that people uh, uh, in Northern Europe were. Um, you know, right. even, even with the influenza of, the, of 1918 that you and I were talking about earlier, Charles, like, not, people knew that it was going on, but people didn't know to the extent. And, and right. people weren't really, because there was so much communal denial, mm-hmm. community denial about mm-hmm. It, I should say, you know, oh, it's nothing to worry about. Let's move on. I mean, yeah, those vestiges are still stuck with us now. But whether or not you're going to say that your uncle actually died of COVID, you know that you lost your fucking job. Yep. You know, so I, I think that thinking about how that feels to you and why you're angry about your job loss or why it hurts so much that your grandfather went away only makes you grow more as a person and you know i i keep bringing up you know like grandparents in this thing but you know man the 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 worst thing that i ever thought happened to me was when my grandma grandpa died when i was 22 23 sorry and uh you know he was the guy i wanted to be he seemed to have all the answers you know he was never anything but a blue collar guy but nothing ever seemed to bother him and you know, I look back on his life and, and what I wanted to take from that now, and I realize that, Jesus Christ, he, he had it in many ways a lot worse than I did. And his resilience and his quietude with which he approached it and the easiness with which he took his life day to day, uh, that... <laughs> um, that to me is a, is, is a miracle in a lot of ways, but at the same time, I, I think a lot of that was him just really not dealing with a lot of stuff. Yeah. Oh, you know, I mean, absolutely. he was a blue-collar German-American. You know, his dad came over from Germany when he was 12 years old. You know, all he knew was uh, all he knew was factory work and having a good time with with his family. Yep. So, it, it's it's interesting to me to see. Like, I, I remember having a big crisis in my life when after he died. And then realizing that I had gotten a, to a certain point in my career vocation where, like, I felt like I was off the map. Like, I, I, I had no reference point to what he did in his life anymore. And that really messed me up. And, again, healing from that and getting myself back on track had a lot to do with, well, why do you really miss him? Like, why, you know, why did the loss of your grandfather and why did you think that you just had to do what he did? You know, did did he make you feel that way? No, he never did. You know, did your dad? No, my dad never did. Mm-hmm. You know, that's these are all walls that I put up in order to deal with that kind of loss. So realizing that the emotions that you have that can't go into a love for a certain person anymore can become a wall, and you should keep that wall down. Keeps you from keep you know putting more bricks in your Great Wall of China. Oh, man, <laughs> you know. That's it's so wild because uh, your response just changed my answer because I would say the same thing but for wildly different reasons. Uh, I used to think that I had been burdened more by loss at a young age because I had I had lost a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, having a dad that bailed when I was very very young and then knowing that literally in my entire life. 
I slept one night at my father's house, even though he lived in the same city as me. That really fucked me up as a kid. Right. Because no matter what words get said, you still know that your dad doesn't want you around. And it doesn't matter what he actually felt. Like, as a child, that's what you think. That's what was demonstrated. And and, and my, my grandfather on my dad's side definitely never just understood children. And my grandfather on my mom's side was not around. Like, the loss of just not having a male role model helped. I didn't understand it at the time. It was very rough as a young child. But it helped me navigate the losses that you get teenage 20s 30s a lot easier because then the waves that crush other people that capsize other boats were a little bit more rideable for me Mm -hmm. and i wish as fucked up as it sounds i wish that everybody can experience a loss when they're young so that they understand that the band-aid getting ripped off isn't the worst pain and you'll be fine the way that I was going to answer that before, <laughs> before this came up was, was a happier side. So I'd like to say both because I still 100% believe in what you just evoked from me. And I think that both sides of that teeter-totter are very real. I think that knowing that you can survive loss whenever it hits you in life is the most valuable lesson that I carry with me to this day. Yeah. Because you feel like you're not going to make it, but knowing that you can will light that torch if you allow it to light. And I think that that is something that a lot of people, even myself, forget sometimes. And that's an important thing. But on a lighter note, (laughs) (laughs) um, I've talked about it a lot on this podcast. Obviously, everybody knows that my my heritage is Norwegian through and through. Uh, I got to go back and stand on the ground where my ancestors came from. Mm. And I am not religious. I am I I I am not spiritual. I'm not any of those things. But I will tell you that uh, to use language from the national, I had a blood buzz standing there. To use language from uh, Bruce Springsteen, I could feel my blood buzzing in my bones, standing there and knowing that for a thousand years, the people that had the same genetics in their blood that I do sat here and farmed and laughed and drank and had children and got married. And to be able to actually trace that back is something that I don't know I would ever, I don't know how to articulate that feeling until somebody else gets to do that and gets to see it. That's, you know, in, in my, uh, in my exposition just a moment ago, you know, I, I brought up uh, the fact that, you know, my, my grandfather's dad, my great-grandfather, came over to the United States uh, when he was 12 years old. And, you know, through, uh, through genealogy, I mean, like, we always kind of knew where he came from, but through some gene- genealogical research, I found out that he came from, we came from, my Frotsky family came from a region of uh, Germany that is now Poland. And I want that very much. And my cousins and I, you know, always talked about it a little bit when I was a kid, but, like, I always really, really felt that I always really wanted to do it. And it's been amazing to me that my 16-year-old daughter 
wants to do that yeah. very much too. She's really interested in it and she really wants to know that. And, and like you said, like to, to stand on that terra firma, you know, and the, you know, the other weird glitch in my Frotsky family is that when, when they left and came through Ellis Island, for some reason, they made a beeline to southeastern Minnesota and stayed there. And so, like, there are all these Frotskys, like, all of, like, I have a cousin, uh, Jennifer Frotsky, who is part of a sea kayaking, the national sea kayaking team who lives in Hawaii, who I've found through Instagram. Do you know, do you know where your ancestors, like, agricultural? Like, were they, like, farmers or were they, His, like... uh, the, the, the form that he signed, I believe so, yes. So the, 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 form, the form that he signed when he came through Ellis Island said that he was Arbeiter. He was a worker. So probably the reason, A, land was super cheap because they were trying to just buy Native Americans out of existence. Yeah. But the other part of it was this is incredibly fertile and tillable soil. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the people that were emigrating from Eastern and Scandinavia and Europe were coming from areas where they were farmers. But as everything was privatizing, as capitalism was rolling across Europe they lost their, like, they were all just subsistence farmers. Yeah. They lived in fiefdoms. They had all their things taken care of. And then overnight, somebody owned it, and then you would get whatever wage they decided to give you, which obviously was always right. substandard. So everybody came to America because they knew how to work the soil, and there wasn't anything better right. than what was going on in the upper Midwest. I just, I've, I feel so blessed individually that, you know, like I said, I mean, I've got, you know, branches. I, I know there are Frotskys who live down in Texas. I know that there are Frotskys who live in Montana. And, and again, like, you know, out in Hawaii, like we're, we're spread everywhere essentially. But my core family, like, came to Minnesota and said, yep, this is it. Here we you are. Know, it's like that old Gallagher joke <laughs> about, you know, like they get to Denver and they look at the mountains and they say, fuck it. Here we know, are. Let's start, a, <laughs> let's start a city here. Well, you know, and the funniest part about both of our answers here is that they're actually the same. Because being able to be in the village where my last name and my family are from is also a sense of loss because half of the population in that entire area had to leave because they couldn't afford to live there. Mm -hmm. My great-great-grandfather was sold to a missionary at 14 and forced to move here. The reason we don't have any idea of the rest of our ancestors were because he was so fucking angry that as the oldest son, he was sold off instead of being able to like take over the little farmland. Yeah. He was sold to a missionary that nobody knew and sent to it halfway around the fucking world yeah. wow. that he didn't even knew exist. He, he said, I'll never go back. I'm yeah. going to build my life here and here's where sure. we go. Yeah. So when you talk to like the weird part about being in the single bar in the village where my fucking family <laughs> is from, the weird part, aside from the fact that everybody has giant five heads like I do, is that Everybody there, instead of, like, in Minnesota, if somebody from Norway comes here or somebody from Sweden comes here, everybody will talk about somebody that they know that has a Scandinavian relative or somebody in their family that has, you know, Scandinavian roots. There, everyone can tell of someone in their grandparents' or great-grandparents' era that they moved away and never came back. And they lost literally the entire, all of Scandinavia lost over a third of their population Mm -hmm. because nobody could have like all of the poor people had to leave because there was no room for them and that's part of the reason that you have the social democracy that they have now because everybody realized holy shit we just literally lost 
an entire class of people to go to America because we created a culture that was so right. toxic. So it's, <clears throat> it's, it's loss and roots at the same time. And it's weird how often those two conjoin. What's really interesting about that, you know, in reference to the, the black death that we mentioned earlier, uh, is the fact that that's exactly what happened in the wake of the black death mm-hmm. was that everybody who, who survived and was just a worker, just a, an agriculturalist, their wages went through the roof because the landed gentry who didn't have anybody left to work the land had to pay the wages that these people were. Because there was nobody else to, to right. put to work. What else are you going to do? Who else are you going to get? <laughs> you know, and that speaks a little bit to what I really hope happens with the hospitality industry moving forward, is that there's far more equity involved with it and yeah. for um, many, many different reasons. We finally, we need to get yeah, a, a living wage and uh, a recognition of the professionalism of our Absolutely. Industry. Many industries, too. That is f- foremost, I would say, but there's a lot of people who probably need more respect and a more livable wage. Absolutely, Charles. I think we all agree on that. Absolutely. Yeah, my answer uh, is also has to do with heritage, but in a different way. My answer is, I, so I'm fortunate to be a twin citizen in two ways. I'm a citizen of the Twin Cities, <laughs> and yeah. also uh, I'm a dual citizen. I, I acquired my uh, citizenship in Lebanon when I was 13 years old, the first time I visited. All you need to do is have two parents who are from Lebanon and then they prick your finger and do a blood test and then have you sign your name. So I am a dual citizen. And I had the fortune in 2009, after having not been there for to Lebanon for 15 years of being uh, a voter in the parliamentary elections. Wow. wow. And I've, I voted uh, I have now voted multiple times in the parliamentary elections, but as a citizen uh, of Lebanon, that was my my return to the motherland after having been gone for 15 That's years. That's fucking amazing. And I went back for the parliamentary elections, and I hadn't seen my family in many, many years. And that was a that was a very um, that was a formative. That was like the foremost formative experience of my life. Absolutely, like reintroducing myself to my culture in such an intimate way, and and seeing all that I forgot or didn't have the capacity to remember, and reconnecting with my family and making friends that I never had the opportunity to make when I was there previously. And that year, I ended up taking two trips of over a month. I essentially spent the whole summer there. Awesome. And it, it uh, that really like lit a fire in me and changed my my worldview. Um, it, I mean, I already had. I, I've I've been. I, I would say my political priority is humanitarianism, which I don't think anyone listening to this can disagree with. Even if you're conservative, liberal, doesn't matter. I'm I'm a humanitarian. I care about people. I care about the environment, everything else. But more than anything, I care about people. Um, and I've, you know, worked, I've done work with Oxfam America and Amnesty International for many, many years, many years. And that's critical to me and, and my makeup as an individual and going back there and being part of the political process in a country that is so far away, even though so much of my extended family lives there made me so much more connected to somewhere other than where I come from. Cause where I come from is here. I was born here. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, a Minnesotan born and raised 
So I would say, like, no, don't go vote in a parliamentary election in another country. It's unlikely that you'll be able to do so. I would say that the, um, the diminished value of that request would be to, particularly for people who have never done so, leave this country, go somewhere else, spend some time there, and I mean extended period of time. Yep. It, that doesn't mean a summer. It means more than two weeks. Yep. Uh, just, you know, ingrain yourself uh, bathe yourself, marinate yourself in the local culture. I know we say, you know, do as the Romans do, but I think that it's become more a saying than it is practical because people go somewhere and then go to the fanciest, go to Mexico City and then go to the fanciest restaurant there and right. say, do as the Mexicans do. No, not really. That's not what they're doing. So if you can ingrain yourself in a culture that is not an American culture, because we don't, we don't have a lot of our own culture. We've talked about this too. New Orleans is like the only real culture that we have in the United States. But go to another country, spend an extended period of time there. No matter your background, no matter your political beliefs, your religious beliefs, or anything else, your your uh, socioeconomical ba- background, if you can find a way to do so, go spend time in another culture for more than two weeks and spend time with the locals and do what the locals do. Yeah. Do as the locals do, and it will change your. It'll change the way you look at the world. I don't care where you're from. Go to grocery I, stores and see what is on the shelves. Go to dive yes. bars and talk to the bartenders yep. or the servers about where they would go when they were not working. Yeah. Drink the local lager. Drink the local Yeah, do everything that's not fucking tourists. Have, you know, try to get a home, uh, a home-cooked meal. You know, if you uh, right. find a way to go to Cuba and you stay at someone's house, like, talk to them about I, their life. I, I, have, I have always maintained that we would be a better nation if our public education system required all high schoolers to spend at least one quarter in another country. Yeah, I agree. I am firmly of the uh, mandatory, like what most people consider, like mandatory inscription or, yeah, conscription, sorry, not inscription, conscription, where you have to join the military if that's your choice, Mm -hmm. AmeriCorps if that's your choice, Retail business, if that's your choice, or the service industry, if that's your choice. But whatever you choose, you have to spend one fucking year learning that it's not about you. Mm-hmm. It's about everything else. And once you do a year in that, I don't know, if we want to make it a year and a half, two years, whatever. If you can deal with that, you will change the view you have on everything else. You're not special. You're not I, rich. Nope. Your dad didn't do fucking shit. You are the thing that you are I don't, for that yeah. year. I, I, I completely, I don't care if a kid from suburbs outside of Phoenix goes to the U.S. Virgin Islands. Nope. It's different. And he's not from there. Mm-hmm. He or she is not from there. Spend the time. Right. <laughs> not in like the Ritz-Carlton. Right. You know, and. Yeah, <laughs> it's, 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 not a, it's not an indoctr- indoctrination in many no, ways. It's a deprogramming. No. Exactly. You know, like, let's, can you. Can, it, it's hard for some people to understand. Like we're in the Midwest, right? We we have a firm understanding of this. We're in the Upper Midwest. There's some people that just don't know that this world is not the world. There's yep. there's more to this world than yep. the world that you understand if you've only subsisted in the one that you were born in. And that doesn't mean that your world is not a good one. We love this place. That's why we live here. But, but being able to see like what other people like taste, smell, hear, experience, uh, you know, see the soil that they till and the places that they work and the hands that they shake and 
the makeup of their society and how it's it varies from ours but so it's it's all the similarities and all the differences mm-hmm. and how we're we're all one we're still symbiotic but we have such varying experiences Absolutely. that are all equally important. We're not, we're not privileged. We're not more important than anybody else. I think one of the biggest disservices that American sociology has done to students and across our country for decades is that everybody wants to live here. Yeah. You know, and in my travels abroad, that's been one of the things that I've pulled away from it is that, you know, my God, I'm in, the, you know, I'm in these beautiful places that have nothing to do with where I come from, and I'm experiencing these things in a new way. And people are telling me, oh, that's where you live? That's really cool. Maybe I'll visit there one, someday. Some people do come up to me and say, oh, I can't wait to come to America. Will you take me with you as a joke, blah, blah, blah. But majority of the people that I spoke to is like, oh, that's really cool. Yeah, I like it here. You know, essentially was mm-hmm. the breakdown of it. And I think there's... Again, talking about a disservice, I think that American media and American education is going to continue to do us a disservice if we don't recognize that the events of the past five years, and especially the events of the past two months, don't bring their chickens home to Mm -hmm. roost to show us that Mm -hmm. we're really not perfect and we have a lot of work to do. Yeah, I mean, this might seem like a silly example, but do you guys watch uh, 90 Day Fiance? <laughs> I'm familiar with it. <laughs> they I, always, I have not watched it. Always the American side of the equation, whether it's the bride-to-be or the groom-to-be, uh, their family, always, without question, it's almost as though the producers say, you got to ask. They say, uh, are you here for the green card? And I'm like, dude, this lady came from France. She yeah. came here she from good. France. Yeah, she's, like, she's all right. Yeah, so it's it, 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 and and in many like the because we started watching from the beginning like a year ago, <laughs> the closer it is to modern day, the more they're like, dude, I love this person. I didn't want to fucking come here. I wish they would have come to Moldova. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? There's so there's it, there's a lot of that too, and I think maybe maybe finally we can understand that everywhere has somewhere to offer. We still have something. We have things to offer as well. But, man, Mexico's dope. Like, totally. pe- acting like people want to leave Mexico just because it's a, like it's a terrible place to live. Mexico's <laughs> I, I, fantastic. I, I think that's the biggest hurdle that American exceptionalism needs yep. to leap is, you know, one of the reasons that we feel this way is, by definition, tribalism. Well, why can't we exercise empathy to understand that that's the way most of the rest of the world feels too? We also can't even agree on what the tribe is. You know, like, like literally like American exceptionalism is based on a tribe of white men. And then we sort of like, well, if you're hot, we'll, we'll bring you on as a woman. And maybe if you're talented at like a sport that we've decided is okay, we'll bring you like, it's not even true American exceptionalism. But, but I think the, I think American exceptionalism is a common disease given where you live, too. I mean, yeah. that's, what I, that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, people in Idaho think that they have it the best. You know, right. People, people outside Life of Seattle Life is particular that, to your experience. Exactly, because, you know, and again, like, you know, they have gener- – like, where I come from, you know, in, in southeastern Minnesota, there are generations connected to that land even though we came from someplace else. Let's call a spade a spade. There's people in other countries that now think – that 
we shouldn't come to where they are because they don't want yep. us to. Right. Yep. So it's not, that's yeah. not unique to us either. There's no. definitely people, no. I mean, you know, like a place like Germany, they're like, don't let, no, don't let the out of here. Over here. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Or Can like, you these bases? <laughs> or not only do they not want to move here, but they're like, we, man, we have an impression of what Americans are now and we don't want them here. So, but also Americans have that impression of other countries. Nope. So we're not saying that like that's specific to us, but I wish everybody, everybody right. as an American, particularly, I wish that of Americans, <clears throat> but it would be, yeah, it would be wonderful if we were able to do foreign exchange world, all the world around yep. to just be able to like switch places everybody go live somewhere to see yeah there's people in scandinavia who've never fucking left who it would befit them to be able to go to puerto rico or brazil Fuck or yeah. chile just anywhere else to see what the world is like away from where they were raised watch the the pele documentary that just came out on netflix pele tells a story about it, I, I think it was the early 70s like 71 or 72 and he was on the, the Brazilian national team. Yeah. It was his first season with them. And they played a game in Sweden. And they went out, and women kept running up and rubbing their hands on his arms to see if his color would wear off. Oh, Jesus. Weird. That was eight years before I was born. Right. In, in, in Scandinavia. In what we would yeah, call. Like having no understanding. In what whatsoever. we would call a first world country. Yeah. That, but that's, like, that's where we are. In it, like we are in the baby steps of yeah, of integration in tribalism, yep. and it's sad that we still have people that are forcing their foot on the brake, no matter how many people say that no, we need this and no, we need to all right. understand yeah. each other and talk. Right. Okay. Yeah, but so to deduce it, like the the answer that to the question is that I think yeah, people experiencing other cultures it, it it's so self-gratifying never mind the way mm, that it totally. makes you feel yes. about the world it's just man when you first I, I was 13 the first time i left the country when i went to lebanon for the first time and it blew my goddamn mind i nope. thought it was on another planet nope. and i think everyone has that experience when they leave the country yeah. unless you go straight to sandals you know like <laughs> if you if you go to another country <laughs> <laughs> you see a bunch of old droopy bald white guys. That's that's, that's another T-shirt. Don't go straight to sandals, <laughs> <laughs> or just straight to sandals. Right. <laughs> but yeah, if you go if you go integrate yourself, even if you do it like the shitty way, where you're just you know you go to the cool restaurants and stuff, right. it's still so different. Yeah. You're like, whoa, yeah. it's it's transformative, and for I sure. that's something that I hope and wish for everyone to experience, and I think it's something that many people will be capable of at some point in their lives. And if you, man, if you got $1,200, if, okay, let's say $1,400 at this point in time, if you get $1,400 and you don't necessarily need that for the sustenance of your personal life, you can like uh, shell that away. Go, go buy some miles on Air somewhere. Canada, uh, 1.5 cents per share. And then when it opens up again to purchase flights to tokyo book a flight to tokyo for go. september and go spend time in in japan well i mean isn't isn't that a huge human desire to keep getting your mind blown I mean, in one way or for, another for some of us is I it mean, for but yeah, I, I, I mean, jd I, I honestly i don't think that I that's would, a that's a human desire i don't know 
I mean, well, I think there are a lot yeah. of people that actively try not to have that happen. You need tiny explosions to expand the, the space in your brain for larger explosions. Right. I think Charles, you're a fucking genius. I think you need to. That's the best way I've ever heard you it. You know put. what I mean? You yeah. gotta like expand yeah. the that pocket to like want more. Uh, and I mean, I hope everyone yearns for that. And I also hope it's kind of like, so Marnie hates mushrooms. I've brought this up before, probably on the podcast. <laughs> for sure. I feel like someday she's going to love mushrooms and wish she didn't spend this much of her life not loving them. You know, like <laughs> I, she'll probably <laughs> never, she'll probably never love them. But like, that's just like an example. We all, of we all like, hope. Oh man. I wish I, I wish I knew how much I wanted, uh, to, to like love things that, or experience things yeah. that I haven't loved or experienced. It's fucking wild. <laughs> uh, well, should we bring it home with the, the final question? Yes, sir. Yes. So um, this one is a little bit deep, and I'm going to just say ahead of time. It's Bumpsville, USA, though, my friend. Hold if, on. If you want, uh, <laughs> if you want well, before we do it, hold on. Okay. I'm just going to tell JD, yes. if you want a second, please feel free to say this, because this is... It's a thick question, I'll say. Okay. So cheers to uh, all of us. And as we uh, sip, I'm just going to say what the question is. Uh, if you had 15 minutes total, was somebody alive or dead over a coffee, a tea, a beer, a wine, a cocktail, and you could ask one question, who would it be and what would the question be? I am going to take a minute. Cheers. I was actually kind of, I was, I was giggling. I was only giggling because I, I was thinking in my head and I always, I always have dumb fuck, silly things going through my mind. <laughs> what if the sixth question you acted like really serious and you're like, JD, what the fuck is up, Denny's? <laughs> I just want to know. What the fuck was in fact up at Denny's? Was it good? And was it, <laughs> was it a moons over Miami? Or was it the tremendous swell? You just got to let me know. Oh, my God. That's never going away. No. That's got to be, we definitely, there's so never all the shirts we've designed in our brains. There's never a time that that shirt would not be funny. This like, is probably a good time to let listeners know that I've already designed several shirts that we have not printed yet. It's coming, guys. It's coming. Just out of, uh, you know, just our abundance of enthusiasm regarding all our dumb fucking jokes. <laughs> Yeah, soon, soon. This has been this has been a very uh, I know people like to say a passion project, but for us this has been very uh, much about catharsis. The, this is every bit of my ourselves. heart. This is every bit of my heart. We're I, having fun. We're not making money. We're having fun. Yeah, who gives a fuck? Fuck money. I literally this fuck. Let's let's get serious. This pandemic has showed me put time and effort into the things that make you feel good. And sitting and talking to you with other people is something that has made my heart feel good, regardless of what the fuck else was happening in the world. Yes. I knew that we had this, and I knew that we could talk about things, and I'm thrilled. It's a, it, a form of payment that is better than, than cash, because yep. I will say that we are fortunate to be gainfully employed. I will state that. Yep. Not everyone is that We are very privileged in that. But, but for us, this experience of recording this podcast in and of itself is a form of payment that is to us as individuals is better than money because for sure we know that there's been a deficit of social experiences in in the last year and so in that way i 
feel rich for having the capability to do this podcast and to enjoy time with friends, drink alcohol uh, st- while staying safe. Mm-hmm. So this has been priceless. <laughs> Absolutely. Over this last year. Also, uh, let's give each other like a virtual hug in the fact that we both just agreed that our relationship is now priceless, which I adore. Adorable. <laughs> um, uh, who's, okay, do you want me to answer first? I would I'll, like you to answer first, I'll answer while, first while JD is thinking about this. So I have a, I have a very serious answer, but mm-hmm. it's a very short answer. And if the question is that I can ask anybody, living or dead, one question, again, the way that I'm observing this is that it would be they're at the point or we're at the point that, um, like, I couldn't, I couldn't talk to, like, uh, you know, Lemmy 20 years ago. I would talk to him at the last point that he was able to talk to me. Sure. So the way that I look at it is... Uh, especially given the context of what we're currently discussing. My uncle passed away from COVID last year. That's the closest person to me that I've lost uh, to this horrible disease. And if I could have a drink with someone, one drink, Mm -hmm. it'd be one more drink with my uncle Antoine, and I would ask him if he had a life well lived. I would just ask him. And I know the answer. I I I don't have to ask him that question. But you want to hear it. I would want to. Yeah. I don't need to hear it. But if I was going to be able, if I could have one drink with somebody, it would be with my Uncle Antoine. And I would say, did, did you live a good life? And I know he would say, just knowing him, he would say, yes, I did. I had, I had the best life. And I would drink a case of arat with him. <laughs> he and I would drink some arat that he made, and I still have plenty of it. Fuck it, eh? And uh, and that would be it. Would it would just be beautiful to have that that send off. So instead of I'm not a I'm not a star fucker. I don't want to like have an experience with a celebrity or something like that. Even though that that's cool too. But just like right, if you're right. saying anybody, yep. you know, I wasn't I was yep. never able to say goodbye to him, and that'd be it. Wouldn't be it. Wouldn't be sad. It would be you know Kasich, and and his thing was yeah. always his thing. He spoke no English. But whenever we drank together, he would say, hi, in English. That's I really wanted you to say it, Sonny. <laughs> Sonny, like, no, no. Sonny. No. He go, hi. hi. Just like that. That's the exact pitch. Like every time he'd, if we were drinking Ara and, and you, and, and you were, you were kind of lazy That's on so your glass crazy. and you're eating and stuff, he would just look at you with his little shit-eating smirk. And when you locked eyes with him, he'd pick his glass right up and look at you and go, hi. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so much better. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so much better than any fucking cheers. Can we just chase I that? Almost, yeah, I, I almost want to change my answer to that one. That's like, the that universal cheers. Yep. No, I mean, Marnie does it to me all the time because it reminds me of him. And, and it's on our, uh, you know, the push pin boards with like the letters on it. We have an H- sure. I, 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 exclamation mark that's been on there uh, since he passed because, oh, you know, I look at that when I'm having a drink and kind of raise the glass. That's fucking Uncle amazing. Yeah. Here's Hell to, yeah. Here's to Uncle Antoine. Hi. Hi. <laughs> All right, JD, do you have an answer? Should I go? I, I do, and it's it's inspired by uh, our dear friend Charles. Um, it would be my uncle John. Um, he uh, he 
he died when I was 22. He died a year, bef- almost a year exactly before my grandpa did. Um, and, you know, my, so my dad's brother was nine years older than, than my dad was. And they didn't, you know, my, they didn't know each other very well. My, my uncle John, much like myself, right after he got out of high school, he got out of Winona. He joined the Navy, so he spent time abroad. In fact, uh, he had a great story about how during the Cuban Missile Crisis, he was down, he was stationed down in Florida where he met his wife, and uh, he had an M14 rifle with a bayonet on it because they were waiting to be invaded and for the war to start, and they were given orders to... (laughs) They were given orders to challenge everybody who would not identify themselves. Just imagine that as, like, a thing. Yeah. That's just fucking wild. Like, yeah. sorry. Yeah. So, no, I, I just, <laughs> I, I, I love that. I love that question, and I love the story. And my dad, my dad, when he told me the story that his brother told him, was that, uh, so, yeah, he's on guard, guard duty. He's just a grunt walking around, and all of a sudden this guy in dress whites shows up drunk out of his fucking mind and he won't respond to the password and john walks right up to him with his m14 forces him onto the ground face down with his hands behind his head guy got his shit all fucked up you know like you know his his medals and his dress white uniform and everything and he's like hey man i was following orders i'm trying to protect our country like you know somebody tried to chew him out about it the next day and that was his defense for it and (laughs) that was that had a lot to do with my Uncle John's personality. Like, he, he was just one of the... He was a very... He was a very Steve McQueen kind of guy. Sure. You know, like... Sure. He was very cool, <laughs> very tough, very smart. Um, I, I just... I loved him to death. And he died before I became a man. And as I became a man, he was somebody whose opinion I really wanted to have on a regular basis. And uh, there are many, many times in my life that I've wished that I could have a drink with that guy and just sit down and talk to him about things that I'm going through. Um, so I guess, you know, the if I could sit down with him, I, I guess the question I would ask him is, um, how, you know, how how do you know when you're doing the right thing? You know, I would, I would love to hear his reasons behind answering that question. I, it's, it's so weird to think about like people from that era and things like that, because I feel like, and I'm not trying to put words in his mouth at all, but I feel like that would be one of those moments where they'd be like, you just know, yeah. You know, like one of those really like sage, but at the same time, like ambiguous things. And I think that's in a weird way. I think that's the wisdom that just keeps getting passed down mm-hmm. to all of us. And, and that's, you know, that's one of the things that I feel like I'm missing is like, you know, he, he died of cancer when I was, he died of cancer when, when I was very young, you know, and you know, his, his youngest son was born two months apart from me. We lived six blocks away from one another when I was growing up. I mean, his oldest son is, you know, uh, 18 months older than I am. And then his oldest son 
uh, is uh, just a couple years older than I am. So, you know, we were all really tight. We grew up really close. You know, my grandmother lived three blocks away from me, which means that she lived nine blocks away from them. We saw each other every day. We went to the same school. We were really tight. You know, I, you know, it's one of those situations where you take it for granted that they're around all the time. Mm-hmm. And like I said, my my feeling of uh, missing out on his personality and his humor and his wisdom and the insight he would have given me to maybe look at things from a different angle. You know, there, there are a lot of times in my life where I was going through some shit and I was like, God, I just wish I could talk to that guy for a minute. You know, I can only imagine what that feels like for my cousins, you know, who don't have him around anymore. Of course. You know, and they, 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 they lean on each other pretty hard and and I love them for that. You know, I'm, I'm really proud of them for that, and I'm glad that they have that. And I love those guys like crazy. Um, but, yeah, he's, he's the guy. He's the guy I would love to, like, get those 15 minutes with. God, that's fucking amazing. And just hear a couple of stories. I, uh, you know, obviously, like, I, I went through, like, a thousand different things that I thought could possibly be my answer to this. And uh, in a weird way... Uh, I don't know a lot of my extended relatives because of things that my family has chosen. And there's part of me that like thought like, well that, but honestly, if I could really <laughs> like no social justice, no uh, idea of this replicating anything else in the rest of the world, uh, I would really, really love to sit and have a 15 minute with Robin Williams. Hmm. Uh, he was, um, he was the first person that, uh, that made me feel okay with the way that my brain worked. And, uh, I had a lot of trouble articulating that and through like school and everything, there were all kinds of like teachers that tried to put me in different programs and, and whatever. And the fact was like, I think if you put Robin Williams and me in the same like brain testing, you'd get just a high amount of ADHD. Yeah. And it was before that was even a term for Robin Williams. And for me, they still didn't know what to do. And when I was 19, uh, I got, I literally did like the full, like basically the doc Brown, like (laughs) satellite (laughs) brain test. Like I did all of it. And I had to sit and I had to, with my, literally just with my brain power, I had to make a plane fly and keep it flying uh, over different things. And like, it, it, it was like basically the video game 1942. Yeah, you were a yeah. yeah. You didn't get cut down by Anakin? So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they made me sit in front of an 8-bit computer and I had to like fly a plane by thinking about like, go higher, go lower, go higher, go lower. Okay. And uh, the end result was <laughs> the the psychiatrist saying, oh, boy, uh, if he was like six or seven, he would be like heavily medicated. But he's at a point at 20 that like I don't know if drugs are going to like actually fuck it up or make him better. So right. I said no to everything. And you uh, personally made that choice. I did. Yeah. And I still don't know if it was the right choice because the rest of my 20s were a giant fucking mess. Can I just ask real quick, what do they do if you crash the plane into the camera? 
no, you don't. You don't. It's, so it's just eight bit. No, but like imagine. Um, um, I was picturing like a really <laughs> shitty movie where it's no. like a self-hating like uh, robot operator. <laughs> like, like oh no, the one. they just take him out and kill <laughs> he is him. Fearless. No, it was. It, there was no last Starfighter shit going <laughs> yeah. on. Right. But uh, imagine kaiju, kaiju fighter. Do you do you remember? Do you remember the game 1942? Like the yeah. video game. Oh, okay. Yeah. So imagine if it was a side scroller. Mm. That was what you had to do. So it was basically just navigating. You had to, point, yeah. you had to, you had to really concentrate to make it go up, and then you could like kind of back off to let it glide back down, mm. and then you would like blink to like shoot oh, okay. stuff to oh. get rid of. Uh, oh shit! Was, okay. I, honestly, like I would love to play that game on a regular basis because <laughs> it, it was kind of awesome. But the fact that like he said, if you were younger, you would be heavily medicated. But for, I'm, for I, ADHD. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, like not ADD, it's ADHD. Mm-hmm. And I've still had to tailor my life around all like, the dumb shit that I exist <laughs> at all times with. But um, the fact that he actually said, if you were younger, like we'd be nuking you with drugs, but you're where you are right now. And I don't right. want to like change, like you're a professional now. Like I don't want to change what you are in I can't tell you that this wouldn't happen if you started taking drugs. Right. right. And tying it back to Robin Williams, mm-hmm. like I, I don't know. I, I don't know why he decided to hang himself, but I do know that he and I had a very similar brain function, and I do know that I can't stop thinking. Like the things that I say. There's a hundred different comments that have already come out of in my brain that have already happened. Right. And if if I was ever told that I would slowly lose that ability to express those things, I don't know that I would be okay with like continuing that existence. So I would at the end of the day, I would just love to sit down with him and say, what what else do you want to say? Yeah. Because, like, losing Like, what him, did you have the opportunity yeah, to say that you would like because, to say? Because he said so much shit for the crowds, but he never actually got to say who he was. And I think it's really shitty, and I, I get weirdly defensive about him just because I, I'm... I'm not trying to say that I'm, I'm anywhere near as talented as Robin. No, I, I, I feel but you. My, but the reason that I've loved him since I was literally a small child and watched yeah. Mork and Mindy was because I felt like my brain worked the same way that his did. Oh, my God. I just didn't have, I didn't have the need to say it all the time. But everything that comes out of Robin Williams, like when he does a stand-up show, that's what happens in here. I was just way too shy and way too embarrassed to like say it out loud. That that live at the Met that he did in like '86 or Holy whatever. Holy shit! Like I, I could probably still recite it from memory, yeah. but everything that he, I, I identify with what you're saying very much, and I and I, and and one of the things that I I, I always loved about him was that almost everything that he did, especially if it involved humor, you know, like you know. His more serious films, I always respected his roles and his, his uh, uh, range as an actor. But, you know, if anything involved comedy, it was like putting a big warm blanket on. Yep. 
you know, like, I, th- th- he was just so, such comfort to me. And, I, and I, I loved that about him. And I loved his approach. And I loved the fact that, you know, <laughs> much like the way that I speak, he, he's kind of like a machine gun that keeps jamming. You know, like, <laughs> I just, I... Well, I keep pulling the trigger. He, exactly. Rack that bolt. It'll come out eventually. <laughs> you know, get that jacket casing out. Um, but uh, I, I just, I, 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 I very much understand where you're coming from. And I... I would love that too. I mean, like, one of the things that I wonder, like, w- while you were talking about that, you know, when you, especially when you're considering the audience, like, mm-hmm. that's one of the things that it, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, okay, so what if his ability to handle an audience came from the fact that he had such a huge internal audience because he was constantly subject to to self. That's the, no, that's it. Like my my literally my favorite quote from any comedian of all time was from Robin Williams, who he got asked like, "Well, like why why do all comedians have this weird like interaction with depression?" And his response was, "I know what it feels like to be lonely. I don't ever want anybody to feel like that. So if I can do everything in my power." to make people not feel lonely, then I'll know I've done my job. Yeah. That's it. Because when we laugh, we all laugh together. Like, when you laugh and somebody else laughs next to you, there's nothing better than that. Are you like, it's, it's the reason that, like, when you watch a stand-up comedy or even, like, a comedy that you love, when you watch it by yourself at home, you don't laugh the same way that you do if you're with an entire group of people right. at a stand-up show. right. Where maybe even the jokes aren't that great, but everybody's laughing and it feels great. That's, that's it. It's the communal expression of joy. And it's cathartic when you can do it yourself, but when you can share it with somebody else, it just gets exponentially better. Mm-hmm. Givers, you know, givers grow with instant gratification. There you go. <clears throat> well, uh, what do you say we give this one to everybody else? everybody else wait Are you oh i went you yeah so <laughs> i just want to make sure like we're all no. solid we're yeah. yeah we're square there we are no, we're no, square let's, let's fucking put this up Gentleman. Uh, <clears throat> jd uh you got a lot of cool shit going on where can people find you and what can or how can they support you um well i i am easily found on instagram at my name uh, J.D. Frotsky, J-D-F-R-A-T-Z-K-E. Um, that will lead you to Facebook as well. Um, uh, I, I do have a website that's uh, under maintenance that will be fixed hopefully very soon. But uh, I'm part of a new project uh, professionally that is coming out as far as a home meal delivery service that's going to be focused on uh, healthy ingredients, lean proteins, a lot of the things that we talked about earlier. Um, Love it. That's um, right up my alley right now. Too. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I, I just that's that's something I want to do right now. I, you know, I, we talked about it earlier. You know, and like I said, that was all, that was all coming out of passion and and a good conversation. Um, but again, like that's the direction that I think that f- food that I want to be a part of is is going to go, and that I and where I want it to go. So I'm excited about it. It's it's under a working title right now. I'll let you all know where it's coming from when we decide on that. So. And as soon as you let us know, like we'll put it out on the podcast. Yeah, we want to we want to talk mm-hmm. about that because that's that's very applicable to what we're 
what we like to talk about. So that's awesome. Yeah. Fuck yeah. And Charles, obviously we talk a lot about your personal Instagram, but give some love to, to Patmos too. I'm yeah. just, I'm just a fan. Honestly, like as somebody who is in a similar industry as you, <laughs> I love the fuck what, what you do. People should understand how I, dope Patmos is. Our, so my studio, we're, we're the best, we're the world's best promoter of other businesses <laughs> and the world's worst promoter of our own business. And it's, right. it's out of necessity because I need to promote the businesses that For I sure. work with and I do not need to promote my business because I'm fortunate to be doing well. But fuck that. We don't talk about your business enough. My, my business yeah. is called Patmos Design, P-A-T-M-O-S. It's a Greek island. Don't ask me why I picked the name. I don't know either. Uh, it's because it's I'm Mediterranean, and that was like fucking 16 years ago. Yeah, uh, Northeast Minneapolis-based uh, creative studio. We do design, marketing, web development, all, all that fun stuff. And fucking kill it. Thank you. I think, we're, I think we're doing pretty well. Yeah, we <laughs> were with... It, it should come as no surprise. We work with companies like Falling Knife Brewing Company and Prize Brewing yeah. Company. And because your brain, talent heart passion and beard lead the way that's uh that's probably too flattering i would have said something more insulting about myself <laughs> what I, about that, that's why i said it instead I what use about all my energy for promotion for <laughs> other i use i use all my energy for promotion for everybody else and i self-denigrate like robin williams <laughs> there you go so if people want to find you specifically on uh the interwebs are you talking about patmos or me no you specifically oh at it came from the sea is my Instagram and don't follow me. It's not worth it. <laughs> uh, oh, he's, he's so wrong. I'm either at communist or the communist, depending on which uh, social media you're on, but I'm a bunch of lefty politics and a bunch of pictures of food and my pets. Mm. So we love you immensely. God damn it. JD. It was so wonderful to have you back. I, there is, there are rarely humans that I think, well, at the end of hey. the day, honestly, you could come back. You could come back four times, ten times, twelve times. It will never not be awesome. Hey, Marnie asked. So today, Marnie said, "Oh shit, repeat guest." And I was like, "Yeah, like we're gonna have to do this." Mm-hmm. And when we had JD on on the broadcast near the end, we said, "We're gonna have you on again, dude." Yep. So, so I, I told him there's like a rapport we have, we've had great experiences with all of our guests, but there, there are certain like vibes and rapports we've had with, uh, some guests where we're like, this is happening again. Yep. We're at the point, dude, what is this episode 19? Yeah. 19, I think. I oh. think so. Yeah. We have to, sometimes you gotta, you gotta bring people back that have that kind of rapport with you. And JD will be back again. I would like, mm-hmm. honestly, I would like JD to be on every like eighteen episodes. <laughs> let's 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 we'll just, just make that a thing. Once a year, JD is just fucking on because yep. it's not possible to not love you. Look, man. Well, that means that means a lot. I appreciate that very much. This is a uh, this is a comfy space to be, you know. And I I you know for anything else, it's uh it's it's the conversations and it's uh the the really uh lovely energy from the two of you and i'm grateful to be here i'm grateful to be here the first time and i'm grateful to be here for uh the first number two i've always been really good at being number two because <laughs> you're the <laughs> shit <laughs> what the fuck is up Dennis? what the fuck, what is, the up, fuck Dennis? is up Dennis? <laughs> all right ladies and gentlemen we love you so much uh just hit us up uh obviously 
it uh just click on either one of Whatever. our, our shits. for everyone yeah you know, for everyone uh yeah we'll Bye. see you later we love you